Today's podcast is sponsored by the Christ for Disciples podcast. I'm Pastor Paul Steinberg, son of a Ken and father of five sons. Each weekday on the Christ for Disciples podcast, I apply God's word to raising the next generation. Take 10 minutes each weekday to listen to the Christ for Disciples podcast and get direction and gospel power to disciple the youngest generation. Subscribe to the Christ for Disciples podcast by going to ChristForDisciples.com or searching on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and whatever else. ChristForDisciples.com. You are listening to the Gird Up Podcast. To gird up is an ancient way of preparing oneself for hard work or a battle ahead. Our work is to reclaim masculinity in the modern world and to live out our calling as men of God. Here you will find a community of believers working hard to become the men that God created us to be. Now it's time to roll up your sleeves and let's get to work. All right, on the show today, we've got Mr. Lee Steinsdorfer. What's up, Lee? How's it going? Glad to have you. Thanks Glad for to have you here. Me. Welcome to the lake. Yeah, this is a beautiful place. <laughs> this is a fantastic... I think this is a great spot to do a podcast. It certainly is. Well, it's a little noisy, but... Just need a nice, cool drink. And... <laughs> That's right. Should have made some mimosas or something like that. There you go. I thought you promised me that. Yeah, <laughs> I usually I usually do. I usually, uh, ahead of time, say, hey, what's your drink of choice? But we're usually doing this at, like... Nine o'clock in the morning, or or the end of the day. Uh, so it's usually coffee or beer, one of the two. Oh, well, so. I got my Bigfoot water cup here, so <laughs> I'm all set. All right. So you are. Oh, tell us a little about yourself. What do you do? Um, yeah, we'll start there. What do you do? Well, I'm a, a little bit older than you. <laughs> um, I'm 60 now, and um, grew up in this area. We're in South. Just 43 Wisconsin. years. That's not not, not too much. much. <laughs> it's nothing. You could be my son. Um, and I've. Uh, where to begin? I've been uh, in the music my whole life, and I was in education, still deal with education, um, technology, education. I am a grandfather. I have three kids and two grandkids and two more on the way later this year. Uh, I've been married to the same woman now for, gosh, it'll be 37 years this year. All right. And hopefully many more. And um, love the Lord. Um a lot of things we could talk about. I guess yeah. where do you want to start? Absolutely. So you've done a lot of music, you said. Yeah. Um, and uh, we were talking about a little about that before we hit play here too, or hit record. Um, but you've done a lot of you. You've played rock music. You've played right. Yeah. Yeah. You played a lot of Christian music. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's based on what I've heard about you. All kinds of stuff in between too. Um, so why why music? Quick question. I was I was a total jock growing up. Sports were my thing. Um, then, 14 years old, a bunch of my buddies and I are hanging out in the basement, and one of them has a guitar, and there's a Black Sabbath album playing, and I pick <laughs> up the guitar and I start playing along. And a buddy who was a f- guitar player says, "Hey, how do you do that? Well, if you learn to play the guitar, you can play with my band in a party in two weeks." Well, I learned bar chords in two weeks, and holy cow! And learned I had a a good ear. <laughs> and started within a year. I was playing in working bands and playing at junior high dances and high school dances. And two, three years later, I'm 18, backing up Bob Hope on some concerts and playing in club bands. And um, mostly it was rock music, and then it became uh, R&B and Earth, Wind, and Fire and Aretha Franklin and Sly and the Family Stone, dressing in matching outfits and. Um, <laughs> dance steps and the whole thing. All right. So playing guitar and keyboards and 
and dance at the same time. And, well, I wouldn't call it dancing, but <laughs> we moved. Choreography. <laughs> yes. And I was introduced to an older gentleman who well, at the time was older. I was 18. He was in his th- mid-30s, and he was, to this day, we're very good friends. And he gave me a love for music and performing that I haven't, that hasn't waned at all since then. And then God got, it's a whole other story, but God got a hold of me when I was in college and turned my life around, though I had gone to church my entire life. I was a very devout Catholic, and um, but a sinful one. <laughs> and um, got into Christian music, very much so. And um, part of my story is how God got me out of the Catholic Church and really the truth and seeing the Scripture as the center of where you find God and put me on a... You would ask me... Uh, and I asked you what we're going to talk about. You yeah. said, you know, what would you tell your 18-year-old self? And I, as I mentioned earlier, God, God kind of, if I look back, and I'm just like, wow, he kind of did get a hold of me more than when I was 19 and 20. But um, early in my life, he, he, he grabbed me and yeah. uh, led me on an on a, a, a adventure to <laughs> seeking grace. Right. Um, that's really because growing up Catholic, you're you're very aware of the commandments and what sin is, mm. and uh, so you, you have a, at least I did. You have a, your conscience is worked very hard. So I very was very much aware of my sinfulness, and and there had come a point in uh, my life when I had crossed some lines that I knew had really crossed the lines, and. I don't know if it's God speaking to me at the moment, but after one particular one, it was like a voice said to me, do you like being my enemy? Do you like this? No, I was like, I don't like this. Well, shortly after that, this is when I was like 19, I was going to a junior college and um, a Christian band was playing at the junior college. And they started talking about Jesus coming back again and how if you're not right with Jesus, you're going to hell. Mm. And I, that scared me. You can imagine now at a, a public university or a college, a Christian band showing up in the lunchroom. At lunch. I don't think that would happen, but it showed up then. And then I knew a girl who was a little bit more religious, so I asked her, religious is a term, because I was going to right. church, yeah, but yeah, I yeah. saw her. She was a little different. She handed me the book, The Late Great Planet Earth by Hale Lindsey. At the time, it's I've learned it's not correct, but it, <laughs> it literally scared the hell out of me. I, Mm-hmm. Not no, trying yeah, to be. It, I mean, it did. It's because it's like Jesus is coming back. He's judging the world. There's going to be all this judgment, the tribulation, all this stuff. And if you're not ready, he's you're going to hell. <laughs> and I, it's like, crap. I'm I'm going to hell. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Uh, not long after that, a buddy of mine went to spring break in Daytona Beach, Florida, and uh, having a great time, just being as worldly and chasing girls, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, Ended up at a campus crusade for Christ rally. And this blonde young man, I still remember, read me the Four Spiritual Laws book, if you're familiar with that. It's just kind of a, a method of you know, put Christ at the center of your life and make him the Lord of your yeah. life and follow him. In fact, faith, feeling, and you put there's fact, then there's faith in the facts and the yeah. feelings. And all that turned my life over. I, I was like, oh my gosh, I can be forgiven? <laughs> And I soaked it up, and it changed me. It just, and yeah. I came back, and I met Christians, and this gal introduced me to other Christians, and I just started going to Bible studies, and I couldn't get enough. I, 
then I was in a club band at the time, and then I found a Christian band that needed a guitar player, so I joined them, and um, I was one of those fired-up, born-again Christians, and yeah. preaching to everybody, and condemning everybody to hell, and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> at the same time, but I, I was just really on fire, and um, that's when I started playing in Christian bands, which was great, because it we played all over. We played it churches we do sunday morning services we play and the people in the band were from all different denominations so i god as i look back now he immediately introduced me to the broader church right and um that took me on a, a, a because i had no idea what truth you know i knew the <laughs> right. bible was true to some degree right but how much so i didn't know mm-hmm. and so what would my 18-year-old say? <laughs> You're going to be going on a ride here pretty soon, kid. Uh, yeah. And, and, and since then, I've learned that uh, one of the things I heard said is you can't tell people things. They have to experience them. And that's exactly what God did to me. Yeah. Um, I have a picture of myself in, in college holding a Billy Graham book, How to Be Born Again. I didn't read the book. I had, I had been at a meeting with a priest. I was in the Catholic college club that's like the president of that <laughs> why i don't know but um i found the book interesting it struck the tone in me or something mm-hmm. but yeah i didn't get it at the time i didn't right. change my life well and i think that just attests to the idea that if you only ever get your religion from church and you never actually read scripture for yourself mm-hmm. you never actually do any exploring um you First of all, you don't actually know what is and isn't truth because mm-hmm. you're just hearing what somebody else is telling you is truth. Um, and you also have, like, it's really difficult to develop a personal relationship with a deity, the deity, um, without actually, like, you can't build, I talk about this all the time, you can't, you wouldn't try and build a relationship with a girl without ever talking to her directly, right? At some point, you got to actually go introduce yourself and say hi. Um, very much need to do the same thing with our Heavenly Father. If we don't ever have a conversation with Him, then you don't really know Him. Yeah, and the groups that I got involved in early um, were the Charismatic Pentecostals, Catholic Charismatics particularly early on, and then through them got introduced to the wider Pentecostal movement. So you talk about personal relationship with God, that's the focal point of right. that movement yeah. everybody's talking to god everybody's hearing directly from god we had <laughs> women who i won't say any name I and mean, these are wonderful people I'll, let me say that right from the oh, beginning yeah, it's absolutely. people i knew I, I love all of them still am friends with with many of them um they're wonderful people have big hearts for god i mean they're just so i have not i knock anybody individually um just we were all over the place theologically mm-hmm. and we're constantly involved with groups that I mean my approach to the Bible was because of what I was learning is you basically well you want to hear from God you open the Bible and you point your finger at a verse and that's what God's telling you that day Uh you know things like that and you're because God's going to speak to you directly there wasn't really there was a, a lot of honor for the Bible and we knew the Bible was important and it was God's word but it seemed to me, as I look back, that no one really knew how to use it. Yeah, well, in my experience, when when the emphasis starts to drift from, you know, this my relationship with my Heavenly Father 
is important because it makes secure my heavenly my place in heaven yes. right um and when we start to drift away from that and say you know like and put more emphasis on you know god talking directly to me and even saying things like my faith isn't like if your faith is real god's going to talk directly to you uh-huh. and things like that it very quickly goes from grace to again, like constantly trying to prove mm-hmm. to yourself, trying to prove to God, trying to pe- prove to the people around you that you have genuine faith. And then it puts this weird pressure on, and a lot of people that come out of like the Pentecostal or really charismatic traditions will talk about the idea of like when they're, you know, whether they're kids or when they're first they're coming to the church, um, like they just feel all this pressure to hear something directly from God. And whether they do or not, they go, you know, like, this is what God's saying, just yes. to make sure that they fit in. Uh, and that's not to say that everybody is doing that. Um, but when you, especially, like, churches like that tend to prey upon the weak of mind mm-hmm. and the weak of spirit. Um, and it becomes almost cultish. Uh, and I, 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 I'm glad God put me through that. And back to, you know, what right. God tell He let me experience so much of so much of Christianity in a short amount of time mm-hmm. you know in, in the first 10 years of my I was going from church to church I was still involved in the Catholic Church I was doing Bible studies for the I was going to be a missionary to the Catholic Church yeah. was, was the way my wife and I would see it and leading a, a, a Christian a, 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 they had acoustic guitar Sundays and it's normally it's an organ so once a month I had my group and I'd bring songs that they would normally never hear there yeah at this big Catholic church and um so we got involved in a lot of it so I got to see Christianity from a lot of angles yeah. and then reading a lot I couldn't like take the boomer in. Martin Luther yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah fortunately I guess fortunately unfortunately I didn't get introduced to Luther till 10 or 15 years ago you okay. know, in, in my 40s yeah which was a big part in bringing me to Confessional Lutheranism is reading Luther. Yeah. So what brought? So why? Why did you start reading Luther? Well, my my journey had brought me continually. If it's always the Bible, is I was always coming back to. Okay, it's the Bible. It's, right. It, do, is this you know coming out of the Catholic Church? There's a big decision. Do I? It's huge. I mean, a very Catholic family. I'm one of fifty grandchildren on either side, and very devout family. And and that wasn't easy. I was. The, probably the first one to come out of the Catholic right. Church from my family. Yeah. And you better have a darn good reason to do that. And it, it, for me, it came back to, well, the Catholic Church teaches this, but the Bible says something different. Mm-hmm. Which one am I going to believe? And yeah. it always came down, and that was kind of the theme over and over again as I'd go to, okay, this isn't working at the Catholic Church. I, I mean, example of, I, had, I, had, I don't know if you're familiar with the Don Francisco song, He's Alive. Um, you need maybe. to hear it if you haven't. It's to me that one of the best. Maybe not musically. It's not Bach by any means, but <laughs> the message it sends. It's Peter's story of. Oh, um, okay, yeah, I've seen alive. Willie Nelson do yes, that song, and Dolly Parton did it. Yeah, and, but Don Francisco wrote it and did it. And this song is. It's Peter's lamenting. It's in a minor key, and it's mm-hmm. all him lamenting how he he d- d- uh, denied Jesus, yeah. and he's just well. The last verse. It's still in a minor key, and it's in and Jesus. And, and suddenly the air was filled with a strange and sweet perfume, and, and light that came from everywhere drove shadows from the room. Jesus stood before me with his arms held open wide. I dropped down on my knees, and I clung to him and cried. He 
And he took me to my feet, and as I gazed into his eyes, love was shining out to him, from him like sunlight from the skies, major key. Yeah. And my guilt and my confusion disappeared in sweet release, and every fear I ever had just melted into peace, and it breaks into this big major key boom thing, and then and he sings, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive, and I'm forgiven. Heaven's gates are open wide, yeah. which was my experience. You know, he's alive, and I'm forgiven, and heaven's gates are open wide. So I'm singing this at Easter at a Catholic church, and this is, people don't clap. They don't, well, <laughs> almost got a standing up. People were just clapping. It's yeah. not about me. I'm not that great. It's right. a song. It's so good. And then the priest steps up. He just says, that's why we need to be devoted to the Blessed Mother in the Eucharist. <laughs> Yeah, and it's like okay I got more work to do yeah. but um, that was just an example of okay it's time to move on it's time to right. I'm not right. so I went to a Pentecostal church Assemblies of God church great people was involved in the music there and started Christian bands and played around the area Yeah, but it, again the idea of scriptures saying one thing and they're teaching another thing kept coming up time and time again it's either I'd like to see and I've talked to your, your your dad about this. And for those who don't know, Charlie's dad <laughs> is my pastor and very good friend. I love him. And um, he, um, we talk about the scripture as a puzzle. Yeah. If you think of it as, as uh, a big jigsaw puzzle. And God hasn't put the picture together for us. He, for whatever reason, leaves it, helps us put the pieces together. Mm-hmm. And as I look back in my life, I started putting the pieces together more and more. But what a lot of churches do is one of two things. They either leave a lot of pieces out, a lot of them, or they start putting pieces in that don't belong. Yeah. So the picture you get is a very different picture than what the truth is. And what is it about puzzles that you know, eventually it creates this very coherent picture? Well, depending on the picture, obviously. But you see the whole thing and it makes sense. Yeah. God didn't give us the picture on the box. He's, yeah. He has other means of us. Um, because I think event, really when it comes down to it with Christianity, what the core issue is in all human, even back to the garden, is God is an omnipotent creature who's so far, not creature, he's not created, but the being, yeah. um, who's so far beyond, beyond us, he can't show us in our, in our limitations. He can tell us. He yeah. can say something. And, we believe him or we don't. He can't show us he created the world in six days. He can't show us how he created all this wonderful stuff around mm-hmm. us. He can't prove that to us. At some point, you have to believe what he says. Mm-hmm. And it always comes back to, that. do I believe what God says? Well, that then puts you in the place of, well, who is God? And where does he speak? Yeah. And that becomes the journey yeah. of knowing who God is. You know, who is he? Because if you're wrong about that, you're going to be wrong <laughs> about It's like putting the piece, the puzzle together. Mm-hmm. If you don't put that together correctly, you're going to be wrong about everything else. Yeah. And then being in the, all these different connections with different denominations, I was Assemblies of God and Baptists, and I was in a big non-denominational church and searching this whole time. Um, everybody's claiming that God speaks this certain way. Well, where does God speak in um, so that's kind of the journey, and I think we all end up there at some point. So in in I was constantly pushed back to 
God speaks through the Bible. It's the only place you can trust that he speaks. And I, I, I knew that, but it took a long time mm-hmm. to have that pr- not... You can be told that, but you have to experience it. And yeah. I learned through the hard way of the places I went where people claimed to speak for God and just were flat out wrong mm-hmm. time and time and time again um, that keep seeking the Bible. And in time... And grace, you know, grace was a huge, huge thing there too. Um, as I don't even remember how I got introduced to Lutheranism. It's um, a good question. I, I started <laughs> listening to a program called Fighting for the Faith. It's a podcast put up by uh, he's a Missouri Synod Lutheran. Okay. But he was a former evangelical, and yeah. And what he does is he takes pretty much evangelical Christianity and, and the Joel Osteens and mm-hmm. those types. And he'll take what they are saying, and then he does a critique of it, and he compares it, taking what people say in the name of God and comparing it to the Word of God. And it's a daily podcast. It's like two hours long, so I probably listened to it. <laughs> uh, it's been out for years. So yeah. time and time again, he does sermon reviews, and then he'll go through it. And, well, he said this. Is this really true? And then he'd go back through the Scriptures and point to what they're saying. And time and time and time and time again, these guys weren't even close. Yeah, and then through that he started introducing me to oh, I'm a Lutheran and here's yeah, and then I started reading some of Luther's stuff and it's mm-hmm. like, wow I'm because Luther was Catholic obviously <laughs> and he fought it and it was difficult for him you know it was not something he wanted to do he would have preferred to have stayed Catholic and yeah. just reform the church that's right. really was his his goal at the beginning was not to overthrow or protest or leave yeah. it um, it was to change what he thought was was off track from scriptures. Well, it's like that's me, and that's oh, oh yeah, I agree with that. And he'd say this, I, yeah, I agree with that, and I agree with that, I agree with that. And it's like that's like I'm not Luther by any means, but <laughs> you know, having left the church and and a lot of family members who are still very involved, so I have to constantly right stand up for what I believe. But it's like wow, I'm a Lutheran. And I didn't even know it. <laughs> you know, I had yeah. come to that conclusion before I even knew what Lutherans believed. Right. So I started looking for a Lutheran church. Well, then I learned a lot about Lutheranism, too, because, you know, just picking a Lutheran church isn't mm-hmm. a great idea either. you got to do your research. Right. Um, well, and there's a whole lot of Lutherans oh, yeah. who aren't well, really Lutheran at all. I've come to learn that I don't know the number, but I would say it's pretty high... I'll be careful what I'm saying, but I would say the vast majority of people that put Lutheran on their sign have very little to do with Luther. Correct, I agree. Luther would, and he's like, "Why just don't?" Your right. dad and I have these conversations. Why don't we just not call ourselves Lutheran anymore? Because yeah, well, it doesn't even help you to call now, yourself. No, it's Lutheran. not. It's almost like it's a. This is not what you believe. It's not what you stand for. Oh, and people, you're a Lutheran. Well, I don't want to talk to you. Yeah, you're one of them. It's like, and my wife and I go around with that a lot, because. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people I knew who are still, you know, they want to be Christians, not, I don't want to be Lutheran, I don't want to be Baptist, I don't want to be yeah. Presbyterian. I, there, was yeah. a, there was a song when we sang one of the first Christian groups that was like uh, Old Buddha, and it won't be Old Buddha who's sitting on the throne, it won't be a Baptist <laughs> or a Presbyterian or a Methodist who's calling us home. You know, it's, right. it's, it's Jesus. And so mm-hmm. that's what's kind of our, well, what are, I'm a Christian. Yeah. And... You know, I, I now I say, well, I'm a Lutheran because, but then you gotta, I find it shuts down some conversations now. Yeah. With people I know who are evangelical or others, I say, well, then 
lately. Yeah. So, uh, well, read Luther, though. And it's like, have you ever read Luther? Yeah. <laughs> no, I've never read Luther. Oh, man, you need to read Luther. He's great. Yeah. I mean, he's so down to earth, and mm-hmm. um, he's not way up in the theological clouds. He's, right. He's very practical. and Very accessible. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, oh, there comes the motorcycles. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's kind of where, you know, instance after instance, um, showed me that, and it was sad for me because I loved the people I was with. It's just, I just can't stay here. I, I'm yeah. sorry, I can't. I gotta go. If I have my children, once I had kids, it's like, man, I want to take my kids somewhere where they're being taught the truth. And and um, you know, so you go down there. I remember an instance that I was I was a, typically a worship leader wherever I'd end up because they always want good musicians. <laughs> and um, in a Pentecostal church, there's a lot of, at a service, you have a lot of God speaking. You know, that's part of it. You do the worship to get people worked up emotionally right. and, and get yeah. into that place where, and then there comes a point after 20, 30 minutes of, of music um, that you're waiting for God to speak. Yeah. And everybody knows it, and it's just you quiet down, and then yeah. typically someone speaks out in tongues, and then someone interprets and I've done that a few times myself, and I caught myself going, wait a minute here. I'm claiming this, you know, thus saith the Lord, do this, da, 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 whatever. Yeah. It's like, wait a minute. Do I really want to do this? This is like making me Moses or Peter or, you know, I'm calling myself right. a prophet. And yeah. I, I don't want to, got to be very careful doing that, yeah. you know. And so I kind of backed off of that. But there was one time where, and these, again, people I love and respect, one guy spoke in tongues. It was a da-da-da-da-da, a dee-dee-dee-dee-dee, a da-da-da-da-da, a dee-dee-dee-dee-dee. That's mm-hmm. what he said. I mean, the three da-da-da-dee-dee-dee. And then it was interpreted with about 500 words. <laughs> and I just went, something isn't yeah. right there. you know. It's hot. And then I just started questioning it more and more. And yeah. And got out of there, and but I, you know, I still see the people there, yeah. and we're still good friends. I'm curious when, um, so like, as what's going on in your head and your heart while people like while you're speaking in tongues? You know what I'm saying? That's good. It's a really good question because I've that, never had a chance to. I've never had somebody on the other side of yeah, <laughs> yeah, it, who could answer that question. It's funny you say that because there was a time we were trying to, it was really pushing others to speak in tongues our mm-hmm. church was kind of going through a moment where um one couple was trying to introduce children to this to start speaking in tongues in the children's bible hour you know sunday school time and we thought oh, why are you pushing that but and then there was other people we knew that said, well you got to speak in tongues just try this and good friends of mine were like, i don't do it and i felt bad I, I would be questioning it as as i'm doing this you know i'm mm-hmm. and it, it it's better I don't know it's just okay what's what am I saying I don't know what I'm saying it's it sounds kind of neat I'm doing (laughs) this and I guess it's they tell me it's God speaking so this must be the Holy Spirit speaking and it's supposed to be edifying so I'm praying something to God that God really needs to hear but I don't know what I'm praying but it must be doing good so from my experience I can't speak for everybody obviously um it was a mystery kind of thing yeah but, but you genuinely wanted to be speaking the words of the Lord. Yes. I, I, my heart was, when God got a hold of me, 
Um, one of the early songs I wrote was, uh, I long to sing out praises to the one who saved my soul, the one who gave his life to me and made my life whole. Yeah. You know, and that's what I just wanted to do. I, God had just touched me and saved me and forgiven me. And I just wanted to share that good news. It was so good. It was just so wonderful. And I felt, you know, you shall know the truth and the truth, it freed me. Um, and so that was where my heart was. And just to tell the truth. Right. And, and share that with in any way I could. So if that was speaking in tongues helped that and made you more powerful mm-hmm. or effective, yeah, then then you, know, you were encouraged to do it. You everybody should. And I don't know if everybody should, but they, they pretty much encouraged that everybody should speak mm-hmm. in tongues. They weren't mean about it or anything. Right. It wasn't like you're going to hell if you don't. Not, yeah. Well, some to, churches some do go that do. far. Yeah. yeah. I've never been. Everybody was always very reasonable. It was more of an encouragement to, yeah. you're, you're missing out on something good. Yeah. Um, it just got, it's just one of those things that I didn't see. You know, then you started reading the scriptures about mm-hmm. it. And I'd see they weren't doing what the scriptures clearly said about mm-hmm. it. You know, about one at a time and then someone interprets. And it's like, well, how come you're not doing that? You know, you yeah. claim to be biblical yeah. but yet you're clearly not and again that's another I, again I'd come back to this well the scripture says one thing and their practice is different so I was forced almost to say well I can't you know the Luther moment you know <laughs> you, I can't recant because my conscience and scripture won't let me do yeah. that so on to the next place we go yeah um, and, um, and and then it was interesting with I don't want to be bashing Pentecostals. So. Yeah. Well, and, and say, and but, um, and all this is not to say that the Lord never, sp- never speaks to us, if right, if well, you I'm, will, right? I don't say um, that there's, at all. There's all kinds of times in Scripture where he, he says so. One of my favorite verses is, again, I forget where it came from. I think Isaiah, where he says, you know, whether you turn to the right or to the left, there will be a voice behind you saying, "This is the way. Walk in it." And and you know you can talk about the idea of um you know like the better you get to know scripture um the more in tune you will be with god's will and as your heart desires to do what pleases the lord um then you will know what to do you will know Mm -hmm. the right thing Mm -hmm. to do but there's also like I, i could I can think of all kinds of examples of times where just like a not the Lord speaking to me, like appearing and speaking to me and putting coals on my lips or something, mm-hmm. you know. But like we just feel the Lord nudging oh, you, yeah. you know, and and you it's like <laughs> you're praying about it, and you're asking the Lord for wisdom, and all of a sudden you just kind of know what you need to do. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, one of uh, in Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis talks about the idea of. Um, a Christian who's really praying is often going to suddenly realize there's something that he needs to stop praying and go do, you know? Oh, yeah. Where um, the idea of uh, you're praying for a better relationship with your family, and all of a sudden you just have this, for lack of better words, laying out of your heart, well, maybe you should go play with your kids then. Yeah. So maybe it's time to stop praying and go go yeah. go play with your kids, you know? Um, and I... The Lord does talk to us, and He does speak to us, and He does work through others to speak to us, and He does it. I would argue He does it in different ways with everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a deeply personal and intimate relationship with our Heavenly Father. You know, you wouldn't communicate again to go back to like if if marriage is a picture of 
of uh, our relationship with with Jesus, which it is, um, then and you can say it's a good. It's always good to go back there and think about that in terms of our relationship with the Heavenly Father too. But the idea of you wouldn't communicate with everybody the way you communicate with your wife. No. Right. You wouldn't go to the office and communicate with them the way you communicate with your wife. And it wouldn't be appropriate for somebody at the office to try and communicate with you the way they would communicate with their their lover, right? And everybody communicates with each other differently, and the Lord does so as well. Because we're all at some place, we're all at a different place. Yeah. In life too. Um, yeah. And that's back to the question, you know, what would I say to my 18-year-old self? God knew what he was doing. I look back, and he... He, there's not a lot he could have said to me at that point. I think would have, <laughs> yeah, would have gotten listen. through. <laughs> yeah. He had a yeah. he within a not long after I was 18. He basically worked things in my life to put me in a position where I was listening. Yeah, <laughs> he got my attention. You know, at 18 things were going great. I was happy. I wouldn't want to change it. You know, it was yeah. a very good time in my life, and um, I didn't want to hear what he had to say. <laughs> yeah, me alone. I'm enjoying life. Yeah. Well, he. He got me in a few places and, and showed me my need for him. Um, and that's how he has to work with everybody. That's when I look back and I, hopefully I'm more patient with people and yeah. see that I can't tell them. God has answer their questions when you can and, and give them as much truth. And, you know, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. So the more truth we have, yeah. the better things are for us. Exactly. Um, but you can only take so much truth at a time yeah i mean it's especially evident you see that today with what the world is and what we're, and so much mis disinformation is going around people are experiencing you can't tell them that this is why it's happening they're experiencing why it's happening yeah you know? and um so experience has a lot to do with that yeah, and I'm right with you there too i think uh the story of my if if there was going to be like if i was going to write a um if I was going to write an autobiography, I think it might be something, like the title might be something like, you know, whenever you're ready or yeah, <laughs> whenever you want, whenever you start listening, you know, it's, it's not like he was sitting around waiting. It's not like the Lord has been sitting around waiting for me to start listening so that he could start talking or something. Uh, it's just been, I haven't been, haven't been ready to listen. And when every kind of next stage of maturity, <laughs> he's got something else where he's going, all right. You ready to listen to me now? Yes. And, and and there's always that other side of it where grace is still there and evident, and he's still patiently waiting for me, even if the answer is no. Um, isn't isn't God's? You would think sometimes his mission is we're holding on to this world really tightly. Mm. I, I picture I'm, I'm very visual in my thinking, and like uh, Atlas holding up the world, the world we're hugging this holy, and God's trying to undo or yeah. take our grasp off of this world yep. and put it onto Him. And we don't want to give that up. And he's constantly doing things in our life to. Mm -hmm. and, and the cool thing is, 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 as these experiences hit you, you come to realize the reality and the truthfulness of the Word of God. Your experience validates that. You know, God's grace and his, and, and it just opens it up and makes the scriptures. You can read the same passage over that I read 20 years ago. It doesn't mean the same it means now because of my life experiences and what I've learned about scripture and stuff. Yeah. And I could read the same thing and go, oh, wow, I never saw that before. And it's like the whole, and as the pieces of the puzzle, as more pieces start coming together, these scriptures just come alive. And, and then you start seeing it not as um, 
little sayings or proverbs, in which there are the proverbs, but the gospels right. aren't proverbs. No. They're, they're stories of what actually happened, of something that was going on, and that's history. And, but we tend to see them as proverbs. You know, we pull out little, yeah. oh, I just want to see Jesus walked on water, so I want to <laughs> walk on water. But you don't see the whole setting and the context right. of that. And as your life moves on and you gain more, the, the scriptures, they just start opening up. And I often have these, as I learn more and more pieces come together, I read the scriptures and say, oh, 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 I didn't see that. So that means that this, and Jesus was doing this, but this was going on in his life. So when he said this to this person, then that means something very different than I thought it was. And and then you start almost getting more into the reality of what was going on. And it's like God invites us in. Mm-hmm. And we're, almost, we're cheating ourselves when we don't do that. You know, there's so much richness and there's so much truth and there's so much. It's better than any movie. It's better than any book as we allow ourselves to get into that. Yeah. And there's so much there and it's, we have eternity to figure this out, I guess. But, yeah. Um, so, yeah. I, you know, I, I'm glad I've gotten away from the days where it's just open the scripture up and point my finger down at it. That's how God speak it to me today. Yeah. It's more like you start reading something. And you go, oh, you're learning. You're t- yeah. Tell me more, God. I, um, there, right. was a, there was a passage of, um, oh gosh, it was, uh, your dad did a sermon, which was really good, on um, when Jesus was in, in, in his house and his family came to him and said to him, basically you're crazy yeah. you're working yourself to death yeah stop it you know yep. you're doing you're overdoing it you can't do this and your dad was given a sermon on and what that meant and as i read that went through and read it again it, it hit me that in in some ways jesus was from our point of view crazy but he was a he had totally because they said he hasn't even eaten him and his, they hadn't eaten he hadn't taken time to take care of themselves mm-hmm. so you just start looking at that time in Jesus's life he was so busy just read all the scriptures and you start seeing he went from town to town healing everybody and he was because he was fulfilling the law so you think about that you have to love your neighbor so he was loving his neighbors who were in a total mess so mm-hmm. he was giving everything he had constantly yeah to take well, care of the myriad of needs and again going back to the idea that i was not meant for this world i was not meant mm-hmm. for this existence or this reality um and that this is not my home and if jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith then he also is the author and perfecter of the idea that i don't belong here mm-hmm. and therefore my con- if i don't belong here my concern about staying here um starts to melt away yes and we for we don't realize necessarily how much time and effort and concern we put into our efforts to stay here longer yeah right yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, like all this not to say that you know, self-care or self-preservation is bad um, but we put especially as Christians who supposedly are setting our eyes on things above who supposedly are putting our storing up our treasures in heaven we put a lot and a lot of times too much emphasis on extending our days here and being um, obsessed with, you know, being here and being happy here for as long as possible. And again, not to say that we should just be reckless with our lives, but that Jesus knew he only had three years of ministry to do. Yes. And he knew at the end of that he was going to and die. 
So why not be reckless? Like he yeah. wasn't worried about being about conserving his energy, about conserving his his but I you think know, a- his youth or anything. Like he he was reckless abandon spending every bit of those three years uh, doing ministry. And you can clearly see when he does overex- overextend, if you will, or he gets beyond the point where he can continue to preach and teach, where he reaches his physical limits, what does he do? He goes off to a mountain and he right. prays. He goes off to the wilderness and he spends time in prayer and meditation and he comes back and he does it again. Right? And he just keeps coming back and doing it again. But everything he did... I mean, he never sinned. Right. So so what's the, the commandments are love God and love your neighbor. Mm-hmm. So he couldn't stop. Right. Because the needs are so great. Yep. And he didn't stop. Right. I, I, I'm wondering if he couldn't have lasted it. His body was done, probably. I mean, who couldn't yeah. keep up that pace? But he didn't need to. Right. He did what he had to do. Right. But th- that the flip side of that for me is seeing we as Christians can't be Jesus. Yeah. We can't do what he did. Yeah. I mean, nor does God expect us to be, because it's always, well, what would Jesus do? You know, and you're (laughs) always, I feel awful because I'm not doing what Jesus did. Well, we can't do what Jesus did. Right. We can do it a lot for sure, but he was so, he was a God man to to do what he did. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, that it kind of because we, we're constantly driving ourselves, and especially as Christians, you're not doing enough, you're not performing, you're not. Right. And it, how does that mix with you know rest and resting mm-hmm. in the Lord and all those issues? And again, knowing more about what Jesus was doing, that he wasn't saying, "Well, do everything I do." He's part of it is showing it's us be an imitator of Christ. what it to be perfect is is impossible for yeah. us. It, this world is so needy. Yeah. Well, and then again, coming back to the. I'm never doing enough. It's not about how much you're doing. It's about letting the Lord take care of all of that. Yeah. You know? Um, one, one Martin Luther, uh, it was Martin Luther, right? He said, uh, trust God and sin on boldly. Oh, yeah. The idea of right, that whole Romans 8, like I cannot do what I want. Romans 8? Seven. Romans 6? 7? 7. 7. Okay, thank you. I read it this morning yeah. too, but the uh, uh, like I cannot do what I want to do. Uh-huh. Um, no matter what I, how hard I try, I cannot do what I want to do. Just keep doing the things I don't want to do and can't do the things I do want to do. And you say like, that's where Luther then sets, puts his hands up and says, you know what? I'm going to be sinful whether I try not to yes. or not. So instead, I these are my this is my <laughs> my version of it, but. The idea of get close to, yeah, get as close to my Heavenly Father as possible. Um, get that intimate relationship with my Heavenly Father. Let Him work through me. Let Him work in me. And then my will will match up to His, and I will trust that He will lead me. The Spirit will lead me to do what is right. I trust God, and I sit on boldly. And I would, you don't necessarily have to answer this, but your question of, having a close personal relationship with Jesus, that gets to be mm-hmm. a sticky wicket because there's yeah. a lot of different interpretations. Yeah. For some people, it's true. They, they get up in the morning and there's books that this one, I can't remember, Sarah or something. And you know, they, they journal every day. They wait for Jesus to talk to them every day. Yeah. And they, they sit down. So um, what does that mean? Yeah. That's a good question. You know, what does it mean to be a, a man and to be a Christian? Well, how do you have that close? Yeah. And I think, as you, the way you answer that question will determine some way the direction your life goes, yeah. too. And um, 
So how would you define having a close, what does that mean, to have a close personal relationship oh, with Jesus? I, I hear you say this. you turn that around on me. Because yeah. <laughs> I've heard it a lot, right. being in, in evangelical yeah. Christianity for 40 years. Yeah, that's years, true. That's the, that's the center point. That really has become, it's almost, in my mind, again, I'm not mm-hmm. a theologian, but it's almost replaced knowing God through the scriptures, through it's become I have a personal relationship with Jesus. He talks to me every day. Yeah. It's not necessarily through scripture. It's yeah. just whatever that means. You know, I have yeah. a voice in my head that, that is Jesus whispering to me. Yeah. Is that what that means? Mm. Well, I would go back again to C.S. Lewis where he talks about the, uh, the idea of uh, the people who've done the most good in this world are those whose uh, focus has most intently been on the next. The mm-hmm. idea of if uh, what's the end game? So how do we focus on the next? What does that mean? Yeah, I, I, I mean, those are important questions right. because it's what's They're at very the core of questions. Christianity now. There's big disagreements between most people I know. Christianity has the scriptures are important, but it really the, is the way I see it anyway. It's how are you personally hearing from mm-hmm. God? That seems to be whatever that yeah. means, hearing from God. And it could be whispers, you know, yeah, or the still small voice, or visions, or dreams. Is that it? I mean, because that's been a big part of the mm-hmm. movements I was part of, and there's a lot of a lot of struggle around that idea. Yeah, one of my favorite authors, Ken Harrison, talks about um, the uh, so anytime in scripture when God or an angel or someone, you know, a heavenly being speaks directly to a human. What is their reaction? Oh, it's fear. It's fear. It's hum- trembling. Humility, yeah, right. mm-hmm. like the ultimate humility. Like the disciples fell on their faces in the mud. Mm-hmm. Right? Zechariah um, literally, like, was well. I guess not struck dumb, but eventually, <laughs> yeah. right? Uh, but he 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 was fearful. Um, Mary fell to the ground. Like you talk about uh, Jeremiah went and hid in a cave, mm-hmm. you know, like all they, just like no one ever. Uh, Peter fell sees, down. Leave like, me, I'm a sinful right, man. Yeah, and, and all, and he, all that was a miracle. Like, he, he didn't see the full glory of God. He no, just saw fish. Jesus do a miracle. Yeah, yeah it's a one, whole bunch of fish. <laughs> Which but that, there's a that's a great. Uh, it is. Uh, but that, that um, story itself, we could, we could go for an hour. I on that love it. I love it. Um, but anytime someone claims to be spe- speaking directly to God and they don't, in, like when they're talking about you know, God speaking directly to them, if they're not talking about like fear and trembling and such, it is a big time Yes, it should be a concern, big flag. A big red flag, a big misnomer of, like that's an incredible amount of arrogance. You say, yeah. well, if God comes and talks to me, we speak as equals. Yeah. That. Well, well think about the, the the flip side of how does Satan tempt us? And, and one thing I struggled with, and your your dad and I have a lot of conversations about this, is because at at one point I struggled with the idea that God would allow Satan to tempt Christians direct, because you almost have to get to that point that. God would allow Satan to get to people directly and work miracles at the same time because a lot of people I know, the voice they hear, and I, I had a voice too that when I was deeply involved mm-hmm. that 
I struggled. Is this God speaking or not? But I could tell if I knew that's okay. This is God speaking yeah. voice. Um. So, would God allow someone that kind of access to a Christian to speak into their minds, their heart, wherever, however that works? I don't know. Um. And and speak to and tempt them in that way. And reading Luther and reading others, it's like yeah, he would. He, I mean, he, a lot of samples examples in the scriptures were. The devil spoke directly to Jesus. He apparently spoke to Peter or through Peter, you know, because Jesus said, mm -hmm. get away from me, Satan. He said, didn't go away from me, demons. It was Satan. May not mean yeah. that, but um, he spoke directly to Eve and in other places where, so scripturally he did. God allowed that. Yeah. And so if you're tempting people, what would you do? And this is something I've learned through the years is, well, you don't come out with 100% hundred proof damaging lies you could start you just want to get them tuning into your station think of it that way or you're mm -hmm. into your website you t you catch their attention to, to to recognize that particular voice with something and you can send speak a hundred percent of the pr truth at that point just to get their attention to tune into you and then eventually what you do is you start introducing lies in small doses but all along, it, and you can even, I mean, you think the power that Satan has, even if you don't want to overdo it, if, if there are these creatures who've been living for thousands of years, who know the human race very well and know our weaknesses and other things, and they work in a team, so how can they know things about your life? Very easily. They were in your neighbor's house yesterday hearing your neighbor talk. So if they whisper something in your ear about what your neighbor says that you could only know if you were in their room, well, they were. Or they could have been. Yeah. So they have the ability to know things that only God would know because a lot of people get caught up in that. Well, only God would be able to tell me that. I, I had this revelation about something, and it came true, and only God would know that true. But do you know that? For Satan could know that too. Yeah. So they introduced errors mm. to you then you tune into that voice and eventually you tune into that voice more and more and more to where it starts overpowering scripture or you start interpreting scripture in light of that voice and as you watch i have a, a new new believer who was asking me the other day well how did these churches get so far off i said it didn't start off major errors it started off with one or two little things and then they tuned into that channel if you will and eventually it led the bigger and bigger and bigger yeah to go back to your jigsaw puzzle analogy it's like you start the puzzle you've got the puzzle pieces and as you're working on the puzzle he's throwing more pieces yes. in, and they're from different puzzles correct and, and you know sometimes you like even i you could take that as far as you want you know like you take mm -hmm. that for that analogy forever where you're um, you know, like now you've got enough of pieces from the wrong puzzle that you even put together a section of the wrong puzzle, and now your emphasis and your focus is on the wrong yep. puzzle, and you're not even making the right puzzle anymore. No. You're not putting it together anymore. Or he puts in puzzles, puzzle pieces that are very similar to the ones in the actual in the real puzzle, and now you're or the like real pieces from the real puzzle. The, the real pieces the real from pieces. the real puzzle, but you put them in the wrong places yes. and all and, kinds. And of different Satan's things. even, I, I think he's smart and this it struck me I, if you think about God designed us and when we sin it violates our conscience whether we know it or not mm -hmm. you know when we when we violate God's laws God gave every human being a conscience which is a little meter or measure whatever that tells us ding 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 you're violating mm -hmm. God and it, it 
damages us in some way. It affects us in some mm-hmm. ways, even when you don't know it. it. Whenever you violate God's law, because that's the way we're, but God made us that way. And that's part of coming to the, the scriptures as our measure of how we live life. We look what, what God make us for. So if you want to know, well, why are we behaving this? Well, what did God, how did he design us? You know, we weren't designed to die. So death affects us horribly because we weren't made to, we, he didn't design human beings to die, to, to have, we weren't made to live alone. We weren't made to be separated. We were meant to never say goodbye to anybody. You're supposed to, so those types of things. But um, when we sin, it violates our conscience and it does something to us. So what Satan has done, he takes, he makes new religions that the practices of that religion actually violate God's laws. Mm-hmm. And they make us more the sons of hell than we were before, I don't yeah. know, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And there's a practice within Islam, this is where it kind of struck me, it, that I was listening to some interviews of women who were to- very physically abused by their husbands. And as you listen to them, that was part of what their husbands were taught to do within the Islamic faith. I don't know if that's everywhere. I'm not mm-hmm. castigating all Muslims for that. But in this, these particular women, the men were told, taught, to dominate their wives in that way and to beat them. And to, well, viol- beating your wife violates God's law, right? Mm-hmm. So it, af- it affects you. So you're going to feel guilty. You're going to want to get that assuage, that guilt. So they come back to their their leaders and they tell them, well, you're just not doing it enough. Do it more. Yeah. So then they do it more, which violates their conscience even more. So that, well, then you're not doing it enough. And you can see how Satan sucks you into this. He introduces religious rules that violate mm-hmm. God's law. Then they tell you that you're not doing them enough. So do more of these things. And so now you're, I don't remember who said this, you're twice the son of hell. Yeah. Like, I think Jesus was talking to, yeah, the, Pharisees was talking to the Pharisees about Pharisees. that. Yeah. And you make them twice the sons of hell. So that makes sense what he was saying. Yeah. He's telling them to do things that violate God's law. Just do more yeah. of them. Yeah. Yeah, and now you believe that you're doing good by doing yes. incredible wickedness. But inside you, you know, you may yeah. not know it consciously. Well, I'd say the, the proof of that would be <laughs> every society, every culture throughout all of time has developed a religion of some kind. Yeah. Like they're actively seeking God, whether they label it as that or not, like whether it's agnosticism or Buddhism or you know Islam or whatever it is, every society throughout time has actively searched for God, right? And then when you talk about atheism, what's what have I really made God then if there is no God, Maybe me, God. It's me, yeah. right? And so every, we're searching out religion, and every there must be And at something. its core, what they're seeking is relief from their guilty consciences. Yeah. That's a huge motivator yeah. for people, to have your consciences. If there is no God, then I must not be accountable. Therefore, right. I must not have but a that's, conscience. Right, so I don't have to follow my conscience. Right. It's not true. It's just a lie that these religious fanatics gave me. Yeah. So then they, you can try to ignore your conscience that way yeah but I think at a core and that's you know the as I go through and learn more about scripture is I keep another thing God has always put on me is drill drill down to the what's the core how far can you drill down with this belief or this thing until it just logically goes down and you drill down on things and so you start looking at what were we made for and then then because all the things we believe stem out of core beliefs and if and if you don't know the core beliefs of what you are, you can't understand what the, 
the outer leaves of the tree are, if you, if you, you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, so I'm constantly taking ideas and, okay, well, what's, let's keep drilling down. What's beneath the surface there? Let's go yeah. down a little. What's driving that? Okay, that's, why is that? And, and again, so you, God made us to be in communion with him, perfect communion without sinning. So the idea of loving your neighbor would have been easy in the garden before mm-hmm. the fall because we were made to love our neighbor. We were made to love our spouse forever. So everything God did, a lot of these things within our system were because of what we were made to do. For some, he made us to fall in love with a person for the rest of our life, one person for eternity, apparently. I, as far as I read it, it's... it's well, the, the, at one point, the, the Pharisees come and ask Jesus about why right, is that and, the resurrection? Right, the, there is no marriage in the, <laughs> yeah. the resurrection. But would there had been... But we'll also love them with perfect love. So, you know. Yeah, you're still going to love that person right. whether they're your spouse or not. But there's, yeah. some, there's just, just things that explain, I, to me anyway, of why our psychology is, why our psyche is the way it is. And it's because we, I look back mm-hmm. to what, well, what did God design us for? And why is this so troubling to people? Well, he didn't design us for that. We weren't, you know, if you're using a lawnmower to paint your house... It's not going to work very well, you know. You might get some paint on the yeah, house. Yeah, it's going to splatter paint all over the place. Oh, if I throw paint into the bottom of the mower, it, but um, that's a bad example, maybe. But <laughs> I love um, it. It's aren't we doing that as people all the time? Yeah. We don't understand what we were made, for, or we myth, where we think we evolved. Yeah. Which is a, which again is a lie that throws us from what it doesn't let right. us look at what we were really made for. Yeah. And then things don't work well and we're constantly working in ways that right. against the owner's man you know the bible's been described yeah. as the owner's manual it's much more than that but it's yeah um it's a good place to start it's a yes. good spot to start and that you know what does it mean to be a man you brought that up um it's different for every you've said it's everybody's yeah. different so you can't say the same but right. basically it's being who God made us to be, I guess. Yeah. You know, and the more you learn about what God made us to be. I didn't plant that line, by the way. He came up with that line by himself. That's okay. my tagline on all my stuff. Oh. Be the man God made us to be. Yeah, be. and that's a great line. And But how do we become that? And I've right. heard you talk about that in, in some of your your episodes. Is It's always coming back to seeking God's word. You know, who is God and what has he made us to do? Mm-hmm. And where are you going to find that out? How are you going to find out who God... Where's the one place you can go that you can be absolutely sure that God has spoken? I mean, I guess we can never be absolutely sure because we're limited human, yeah. limited creatures. But yeah. where's the one place that's not going to let you down? Well, even my experiences in most churches that, that truly believe that, they leave that behind at some point and go off some other rabbit trail and start seeking some other means of knowing God. Mm-hmm. And they, it's like, why don't we just focus on learning everything we can about God's Word, the Scriptures, start there, and then if we exhaust that, then go off. Which to, we won't. Right. <laughs> Which you'll yeah. learn real quick, you won't. Or maybe not real quick, but you'll learn in time, you don't. And then, then let's talk about these other yeah. things. But we don't. We just they and Satan is good at that side tra- and our nature and all that, sidetracking us off to oh I heard this voice, yeah. Or this person prophesied over me and he said this and he has this miraculous ooh that's more mm-hmm. that's more exciting. 
And yeah. that's what I had learned is like, well, I want to know more about the script. Teach more about the scriptures, Pastor. Yeah. Well, what Give you keep saying is, set my, why don't we set our minds back on things above? Yes. Why don't I, like, again, we're talking about, like, earthly desires, earthly sensuality, earthly um feelings and emotions and all kinds of not that all feelings and emotions are necessarily earthly but that's we seek those things we lose our focus on the heavenly goal and we begin to seek those things out instead all of a sudden we find ourselves in the off on a yeah off on not not on the path how did we get out here yeah but we we give up too quickly on digging into god's word and and letting it speak to us what it was meant to speak to us, which yeah. is, it's really, what is it? It comes down to Jesus. It's, mm-hmm. it's pointing us to him. And Jesus, you know, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And, you know, it's, you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So there's something there about if we want to be, first of all, know the truth and so that we can be free, that is found in, in the person of Christ somehow. Mm-hmm. And then that the understanding is the scriptures are the place you can go to learn about the person of Christ who will set you free. Yeah. And the more you know the scriptures, the more you know of the person of Christ and the more you understand him, just like what we were talking about him, the, the, the insignificant thing about him not eating much. Well, yeah. just going through that passage helps you know more about who he was. Right. And, and the Herculean job, should we bring in a, a Greek god into it's a Christian. It's about as close <laughs> as you can get to Jesus. Yeah, <laughs> a Herculean god. It would effort yeah. to pull off what he did. It would yeah. take a superhuman. Um, and, and I didn't think it of it that way. It would take a god, man. It would, absolutely, because I had grown up with the church, and so Jesus was yeah. always a part of my life, and he was always there, but I never really saw the extent to, I mean, think about, a day in the life of Jesus in those three years. Non-stop thousands of people coming to him, healing them all. He was a celebrity too. I mean, he was, he, yeah. he had to go away to the mountains to pray because, and then he had to, he had to pray too. So and mm-hmm. he had to keep his relationship with his father. So he couldn't do that during the day because he was constant, constantly, yeah. and he couldn't turn anyone away because he's loving his neighbor to the full extent. He, right. He, well, and then it, if you read through the book of Matthew, after he sends out the 72, he actively starts to teach things he knows are going to be controversial um, uh, in yeah. order. I mean, this is a little bit of conjecture, but kind of in order to weed out those who do not really who are only there for the miracles and who do, do yeah. not really believe so he starts saying things that aren't to use our modern language that aren't politically correct. correct right and saying things that don't agree with what they've been taught by the teachers of law and the pharisees and it begins to drive people away and i couldn't tell you exactly where this happens but somewhere in the gospels um the those who are following jesus Start to say like, "What are you doing? Like we're we're losing followers." Yeah, but he was talking about eating his body and blood. Yeah, exactly. And they're going thing. like, "What are you? Why yeah, don't say that? You can't say that." Right? Yeah. Um, and uh, I don't remember where I was going with that, but <laughs> the idea of that those were not the things that were important to him. So he actively had his mind set on like getting us there right D- telling us th- what we need to know 
so that we could properly spread his word yeah. and whatever he was calling. But his his there's my point. He was saying there's so much more to Jesus that just a cursory reading of the scripture mm-hmm. doesn't. If you don't put the pieces together properly, you don't see that. You yeah. don't see it that way. It's easy to see him as this ghost-like featured holy man floating around <laughs> and touching people and yep. healing them. Yeah. And, and I think if you were there, it would be much more dynamic oh, absolutely. and much more going on than, I mean, it says it when you read it, it's, it's there, but the way we approach it, it's, it's not to paint that picture of, of this really dynamic person who was yeah. changing, I mean, setting the world on fire. Where I mean, imagine that this, this healer comes into this little area. I mean, Israel is not a big place. Yeah. And it's, few million people i suppose in, in yeah. the greater area and in a three-year period he's healing everybody everybody mm-hmm. everything he had to be super i mean think about the yeah. leadership of that day the threat that they felt to this popular person absolutely and then he started calling them vipers and all this other stuff yeah. and he wasn't practicing and, and continuing <laughs> their teachings and in fact actively working against them yes yeah and claiming to be God and he's winning over and then after he was resurrected died and resurrected and money and cost and it was was millions of people came to faith it wasn't just a few it was yeah it turned up the world upside it literally did and sometimes you don't see that in reading this if you come to the scriptures and see the big picture and the more you get to know him the more those pieces start coming up and then it changes what he says and you start realizing that you know the the depth of the and then the other side of the coin is how wicked the pharisees were and they weren't just religious people who were a little bit off mm. they were way off and yeah. um they were really hard-hearted and hard-headed hell, right and, and wh- that's why he he could see i mean you look at the world we're in now and you i think the world is much darker than what people want to believe it is yeah and the the dark the depth that Satan goes and how horrible we're seeing more and more of that come to light now. Well, I think this kind of ties in. This is what has been on my this is what keeps popping into my head as as I listen to you talk is this idea of um, I think the spiritual world is a lot simpler and a lot more accessible if that might not be the right word than. A lot of times Christians understand or believe, and I think that the devil wants it that way. Mm-hmm. Whereas it really is as simple as um, our God loves us, and everything he does is um, for the purpose of restoring us to him so we can lo- know him and love him as we ought, as he created us to um, in eternity, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the devil's simple aim is to stop that from happening. Kills, um, destroy, yeah, to, like to keep us from being restored. In whatever to means, whatever he has, it takes, whatever right? it takes. And so, like uh, you were talking earlier about, um, you know, the voice knowing, hearing the voice and saying, "I don't think that's God's voice," but the cl- the better I know my Savior, the easier it is for me to recognize when it is His voice and when it's not His voice, mm-hmm. um, and. Like say so it's not outright lies all the time. It's little whispers here mm-hmm. and there to draw us further and further and further away. Um, I read somewhere else too the and I I'm not sure if I completely subscribe to this, but he he said um, I think this was uh, Ken Harrison again. He said 
the devil has never been human. So he doesn't know what it's like to be human. He can't, like, think from personal experience, well, this is what got me, you know, and, and try those things. What they have is thousands of years of experience of saying certain things to certain people in certain ways and tempting them or whatever word you want to use, those little whispers, and they know what's going to work to move people in the direction they want them to move. Um, and you can recognize how great evils over time have come about by small, small lies, small little, little whispers. And look at the situation that we're in right now, uh -huh. is especially in, in the United States. The situation we're in right now and just how confused like no, I I feel like this is a very under discussed part of what we're what's going on right now, especially in the Christian world. Granted, we're not allowed to get together and talk about it, but the uh, like what n nobody seems to be doing amongst Christians is actively talking about. So what, like, what's going on in our hearts? That all, like we keep talking about the politics, we're not talking about what's going on in our hearts, and we're not talking about the reality that just about every single one of us has at some point been incredibly uncomfortable trying to figure out where we stand in all this and what part, if any, we've played and what's going on and recognizing what is not lies that other people are telling us, but what are lies that Satan's whispering in our ears and, and starting to make us feel and think and, and, and the way... He's behind all of this. Well, it's if it's wicked, if it's chaos, if it's not. Th there are there are groups that are talking about spiritual warfare. Yeah. In the context of that, I guess this I is, haven't encountered it. But th this is I, I can't say so much in the church world, um, but in people who are following what's going on real closely, spiritual warfare is at the center of it, and the need to well, that how that. The people we are dealing against, uh, working against, um, are heavily influenced by Satan, and it's acknowledged and it, it, to the point where it's almost Satan worship. Well, and you look at either is. side. Either side, it's, if it's you there. You strip it down. Yep. What are, what are the whispers? Like, if you, if you can just put yourself for a second and imagine, what might the whispers be? They hate us. They hate us because of who we are. Mm -hmm. They hate us because of what, you know. Um, and then that you, that quickly turns into why do they hate us? Must be better, you know. And, and both sides of this argument, the exact same lies are being told about the other side. You know, that's how you create divisions. That's how you create mm -hmm. derision amongst people. You can go back and you can talk about, um, like, you, whether you want to talk about you know, the the Nazis. What what's the foundation? They hate us. They're the ones doing this to us. Um, it's because of these people that this is happening. And, and it becomes poison, right? And, and that very quickly becomes, well, I'm better than you are. And therefore, I get to act like I'm better than you are. You can go back to the Egyptians talking about the, 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 the Israelites. The reason that we aren't, the, like, they're getting too rich and powerful. That If they get rich and powerful, they're taking our money. Therefore, you know, why aren't we getting rich? Well, we're not getting rich because they're taking it from us. We're better than them. They're wronging them. They're wronging us. And it just quickly becomes this poison. And that's exactly what's going on right now. You have a whole lot of people that would have said, like, I don't have any racial prejudice. I don't have any, you know, whatever on, on one side. And after, you know, three, four weeks, after a month of all this nonsense, saying things 
about people of color that a month ago they would have swore weren't in their hearts. Mm -hmm. And on the opposite side, you have a whole lot of people of color who were saying just the opposite, you know, months ago saying, oh, I've never really experienced a whole lot of, you know, prejudice and I've never really experienced this, that or whatever. And now there's the idea has come that they hate us. You know, and, and it goes in both directions. And I actively, like, I, this isn't something I'm hearing on the news. It's something I'm seeing with my own eyes. I'm kind of living in both worlds. Like, it's the same lie on both sides. And we aren't addressing it as it is. Where's the lie coming from? Right. Where's the lie coming from? Who's the real Where enemy Where did this then? idea come from? So who's you know, the real enemy? Exactly. And we even, there are plenty of people saying, like, if Jesus... Yeah, you know, what we need is more Jesus, and then these things won't happen. Yeah, but why won't they happen? Because we're going to choose to love one another instead of believing the lie, instead of acting upon um, the the hatred. Well, that I suppose it's, and your dad will tell me this too when we talk. I'm sorry I bring him up a lot. <laughs> it's okay, he's a connection. great guy. Um, he's a good He's pastor. always getting me, when I go off on the political rants, he'll <laughs> always bro- pull me back to, it doesn't change our mission yeah. as the church. Our mission is to bring the gospel and the truth to people, mm-hmm. and that's the answer, is as much as I can get off way out there in the political weeds, yeah. and I do at times. <laughs> we all do. We all do. Um, <laughs> I realize that, it always comes back to what's going to change people. It's yeah. coming to Christ, mm-hmm. coming to the author and finisher of our faith, the one who is the truth and the way, and who will free us. And that's why we as the church, as your dad constantly reminds me, we have to stick to our job, which is to bring people to Jesus and, and the conversation we've had. And who is the real Jesus and who is he really? And the more we do that, the that's the hope and Unfortunately, I suppose, uh, if I understand scripture correctly, the, most people aren't going to come to that conclusion. If, as Jesus said, you know, the way is wide to destruction, the way is narrow to, to life, and many are those who, you know, you know that scripture. And so we have to accept that a lot of, there'll be a lot of rejecting of that. Yeah. And which means a lot of the crap is going to continue to go on and scripture seems to point to they're not getting better before Jesus returns it's going to continue to get worse so we keep doing our job and as much as I want to jump in politically and correct things and I try but um, what's that doesn't change people's your dad and I had a dad talk the other day does that change anybody's heart right telling them they're wrong politically didn't change anybody's heart yeah only God can change and I'm talking to me as much as I'm talking yeah, to you. Absolutely. Because uh, one of my favorite analogies, and I think it lends itself well to this topic, one of my favorite analogies is when you think about lifeguard training. What the, There's a whole lot of people who can swim really well, but they're not good lifeguards, and they're not trained to be lifeguards. The qualifications for being a lifeguard have a lot less to do with being able to, being able to swim and a lot more to do with helping people get out of the water, right? Mm-hmm. And so you literally have to learn like water combat in order to be a lifeguard because when people are drowning, Don't they're think. not thinking reasonably. 
right? They're not saying like, oh, this person is here to help me. I will do what they say and I will listen carefully to their directions. You know, like there are times where like lifeguards are literally trained to at times like strike the people that they're trying to, to, you know, like subdue them mm -hmm. so that they can save their lives. Right. Um, and the reason is these people are drowning. They know they're drowning and they're flailing and kicking and screaming and whatever in order because they know they're drowning and they don't know how to not drown. Well, the same thing's happening in our, in our <laughs> spiritually mm -hmm. is people are drowning. They know that they're drowning, like whether it's politics, whether it's, you know, churches that aren't speaking the truth, whether it's just people who are wreaking havoc on each other and causing chaos in the world, which is a lot of people, mm -hmm. even in their small little way. What they're doing is it's the death, it's the death rolls, right? They know that they are dying. They know that they are drowning. They know that they, at some point, life is going to end. They know that they don't have their ducks in a row or whatever you want to say spiritually. And they're flailing. Um, and a lot of times Christians like to stand on the side and say, you know, just do the backstroke. Yeah. Float on your back. And they don't want to get in the water. And, you know, risk the idea of, you know, like having to go get in the water and struggle to get the people to shore. But that's the only way somebody can get rescued. Yeah. it's And then once someone has been rescued from the water, you do hold a grudge against them for the insane things they did while they were drowning. No. Like the things they said, the things they did, the way they treated you while they were drowning. You say, now you teach them how to swim. Well, you think how Jesus, you see that played out in the Gospels with the, the apostles and the disciples. and what? Yeah. He, oh, you have little faith. <laughs> how many <laughs> times did he, he say that? to teaching. He did. He, he, he stuck yeah. with it. But he, they were easily, obviously, broken, fallen people. Yeah. He didn't pick, you know, yeah. God shows that, that. We're all that way, even the ones that we look at to as saints. And again, Jesus is perfect, and he got frustrated with them. <laughs> yeah. You go, yeah. You know, he, it wasn't it wasn't sin. But what you, I thought often like when he'd say, "You have little," faith. the apostles had little faith. They're working miracles, but yeah, faith. And back to we talked about earlier. What's the bottom line that God is after between mm -hmm. with his relationship with mankind? It's do we believe what he says or not? I mean, it's really, it all comes down to that. And you have little faith. You don't believe me. Jesus, I've told you this, but yet I just explained this to you. Now yeah. you're acting like I didn't say anything. If you just believe what I'd say, you wouldn't be freaking out like this. And that doesn't, that's what God comes down to. Yeah. And so our journey and our mission is both to, you know, our journey is for ourselves to come to trust that's faith is in yeah. God's word, you know, okay, you said, I trust you, God, because you're God, I don't know, so I'm going to live my life the best I can based on what you yeah. said, and then we help others come to that realization, so whatever we can do to give them faith in Jesus, to elevate him, that he's trustworthy, that the Bible <laughs> is trustworthy, yeah. and that's a challenge right there to start, because if you don't get there, you'll never get there. Right. Um, so it's through our lifestyles that live your lives in such a way that people will see your good works and give glory to your heavenly father type things and mm -hmm. you know what's the man well it's living your life according to god's word come what may 
Um, and it will differ from you to me because we all have different gifts and different yeah. stories that you might handle a situation different than me. Yeah. But um, it comes down to do we trust God in all that we're doing in our lives? Yeah. And are we looking to put ourselves in places that teach us more? And it's, you know, back to the church journey is when I talk to people, it's like, well, I, I've come to the Lutheran church because I think it's the safest, the confessional Lutheran church, let me put it that way. <laughs> um, because I think it's the safest place to be. It's where you're going to get the biggest doses of truth and the least potential of untruth mm-hmm. being dished out there. You know, every place else I've found, they leave a lot out. Yeah. And, and there's other things that don't belong there. That, And so for people who are like, well, Lutherans are so boring or there's whatever issues they have. It's like, but when you come down scripturally, Yep. You know, what are they teaching and professing? And and, and are they struggling as an organization? Is that yeah. that's the right word? To stay faithful to that? Yeah. Is there a history of that? There certainly is. I mean, that's where it started. Yeah. Um, was with the whole struggle. The church has gotten away from this. We need to bring the church back to the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, I know this wasn't meant to be a commercial <laughs> for the Lutheran church, but I, it just as I think of men out there where do i start you know it's getting yourself informed of where the truth can be found and your church is a big part of that Um, yeah and if your church isn't supporting you in that it's going to challenge everything else now i've been on the other side where i was doing all my own research because (laughs) i was my church taught that and what's the real truth so i was forced to dig myself well and they should still like you should still do that regardless of your church body. Right. Be a good Berean, as you say. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, who are the Bereans? The one that took what Paul was teaching and they yeah he commended them because they went back and dug st- into it. Dug into the scriptures to find out if what he was saying was true. And I know the that was one of the things that was uh, so refreshing to me about the Lutheran the confessional Lutheran pastors and everyone I've met and I've met a few now their their humbleness and their willingness to throw whatever you want at me yeah 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 and then sometimes the ability to say i don't know yeah that's a good question and there's a whole lot of i don't know we don't know i mean god's only he has revealed everything to us he's given us as i understand enough of what we need to do what we need to do in this Mm -hmm. life And, and that's i think that's a struggle if i understand a lot of different denominations of a lot of churches want to fill in the blanks yeah and confessional lutherans are willing to admit there's a blank there and we just simply don't know yep yeah and they're humble enough to say we don't know it says this is all it says it doesn't say more than that like the issue with the eucharist yes it is christ's body what does that mean we don't know he didn't say what it means yeah if i understand it correct it's, yeah it's not transubstantiation it's not just an image it's not just a remembrance well, he, say, he would have had to say more in order for it to be those things right but he didn't he didn't yep. so back to okay what's back to going back to the foundational things we're driven back to what has god said mm-hmm. and do we believe him or not yeah so this is what he said he said it is my body <laughs> and that's all he said so yep. i guess that's good enough for me yeah and then you step back and say but that can't be it's like am i one to tell the creator what can and can't be 
Yeah. I created Well, even the, the, the world literal... Oh, sorry, I interrupted you. you know, but I, the, the literal figurative... I, I interrupted you again. <laughs> <laughs> but the literal figurative you know, language argument, you know, like the um, portion of Scripture that says, um, you know, if you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can tell a mountain to... You know, yeah. fall into the oh. sea, and and, and like, and, and people will say, "Well, that's figurative." You say, "Well, but if is it though?" Because if you have, if you have that great faith, then your will will also line up with the heavenly Father's will, mm-hmm. and you're not going to tell a mountain to fall into the into the depths of the sea so. unless the Lord's will is for the mountain to fall right. into the depths of the sea. In which case, it's not me making it; it's Him making right. it fall into the depths of the sea. So. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, you go, you can go in circles. And always, faith always comes back to faith in what God has done or is going to do. Yeah. And it comes back again for we talked about the conscience and being our conscience relieved. What has God said about our conscience and how it can be relieved? He's stated it clearly, and it's simply He's you accept however you want to word it, accepting Christ, believing mm-hmm. in the gospel. Yeah. Um, it's something he gives, and it's something we receive. That's it. Yeah. There's nothing we can do. Yep. There's nothing we can do to earn it. We can't add to it. It's, but that's too simple. There's got to be something. Yeah. That, no, he said it. I forgive you because I ordained to forgive you based on what I yep. did. You just believe it. Yeah. And that's it. That's it? Yeah, that's it. There's yeah. no boasting. There's no bragging. There's You can never look up and say that there's anything you did to deserve it mm-hmm. and then your life experience goes to tell you as you get to know yourself more and more and more man how deep the sin runs in me yeah. <laughs> you know it's like drilling down i don't like to drill down I, i'm grateful that god doesn't ask me to look inward yeah because when i do it's not a pretty picture right it's he says exactly the opposite he says give it to me all right look keep your eyes on me keep yep. your and so God's, it's again, back to trusting what he says. And then our journey is, well, where does he speak? Yeah. And that, again, has been my experience with it's the arguments is where and when has and how has God <laughs> spoken. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah. Well, thank you for sharing all that. That's fantastic. Well, that was a great conversation. So you play a lot of music. You still play a lot of music, if that's my understanding. Uh, often as I can. I'm not playing out much now. Okay. Um, nobody's very few are <laughs> playing out right now anyway. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I uh, was very involved in Christian music for a long time. And in some ways it's been nice to go into a Lutheran church, which is more traditional. And I, I was so involved that I got to the point where I couldn't, be involved in church if I wasn't into music. Oh, right. Yeah. It almost become like a drug yeah. to me. <laughs> I want to be out, you know, performing yeah. and whatever, whatever it was. And so. Well, in many ways, that's a good thing, but it can be too much. Oh, and for 30 years, you've been yeah. out front. Right. That becomes your crutch in seat. some ways. It's hard yeah. to, yeah, I got to the point where it's like, I can't even sit in a well, congregation. I've thought about that a lot too, is, is like, even just like being a part of a choir or doing that kind of thing where you say, my. It's, it makes it more difficult to worship sometimes when you are performing. It makes it, at times, more difficult to worship is my experience. If I was, for me, it was the easiest the when I was leading. And, and that, that's right. Yeah. I, it's like, if I was leading, it, it was easy. Oh. I can't explain it. It just. Yeah. It, that's it's, a gift. Um, 
It's a gift of the it spirit. was harder for me not to be leading. Yeah. You know, to be sitting in a congregation because then I'm just, oh, what's the guitar player playing? And how are they arranging that song? And oh, oh. what's what's coming next? And yeah. I'm, my technical mind is, yeah, it's because yeah. that's what you do. You you're constantly listening to the music and how can you do it better? And and when you're yeah, playing, you're just doing pushing it. you out of your comfort zone. Yeah. And so <laughs> I, I don't understand a lot of the Lutheran music. I say Lutheran music, it's church hymns and stuff, but it's, I'm not an organist. And and so I, I don't have to... My mind um, doesn't go there. It's that's like, an interesting perspective. I've never heard anybody talk about that before, but it makes sense that, that you would... Yeah, that I'm, not, I'm not thinking about how they're doing it. Right. But they're just doing it. And yeah. But if it was contemporary music, I'd be all over... Cause I play multiple instruments. So yeah. What's the piano player doing? What's... The bass player doing the drummer and yeah especially when you're recording you're you're putting all this together and <laughs> anyway yeah so if somebody wanted to hear you play what do they have to do <laughs> convince somebody to find up right now to <laughs> let me play so um well who have you been playing with lately uh just in a an acoustic trio okay and a few other i've played in a band that does uh it's mostly con- uh, secular music i'm not doing christian music right now I'm not who's that to it um say that again who so who but who is that band oh there's a guy named will kruger okay not far from here and he does a singer songwriter show okay and i've played in his band a few times and okay and just again had a tr- acoustic trio that does yeah plays at different restaurants and yeah stuff. that's okay i'm a dozen bands out there <laughs> yeah, now. i mean i right. could play a lot more if i, right. I chose to um I'm a grandfather now, and yeah. not trying to be out until two in the morning. That's what you got to do now. That's the challenge. If you want to play from, you play at church on every Sunday. If you want to play out, it's at bars and mm. clubs, and that's till I suppose, yeah. midnight sometimes. And yep. Um, well, and then you got to do all the take care of all this, all your equipment and stuff. Take your equipment, and I mean, I love playing. I'd love to play for five hours if I could. It just, yeah. But. Um, you know, I just got an opportunity to join a band that wants to do contemporary country music, but I can't imagine me a 60-year-old grandfather <laughs> church deacon singing "Country Girl Shake It" for me. Yeah. <laughs> I understand. But that, you know, look at me. Am I going to be singing that, you know, yeah. Luke Bryant type stuff? And it's like, eh, I think I'm. Uh, Nobody needs to be singing Luke Bryant stuff. Huh? <laughs> oh, I know. It's like, uh, and that's the opportunity. Some of it's catchy though, but it's cookie cutter. Uh, just. Yeah, it's like the Britney Spears of country music, yes. just cookie cutter. Yeah, if we're talking music. I, mean, I grew up in a great era of music in the 70s, 60s, 60s and 70s. I mean, great music came out of that. Yeah. So now new music is just like, especially some of the new country stuff, it's just so formulaic. And, <laughs> you know, yeah. as a player, it's so boring. Okay, I'm going to play the same four chords all night long and sing about trucks and short blue jeans <laughs> and beer, you know? Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. getting air truck and go down into the water and yep. <laughs> drink some beer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It is fun then, though. If that wasn't the culture, then the people that are doing different things wouldn't be quite as exciting either. True. So. Right. That makes some of the other stuff more fun. some great music out there. Yeah. And, um, it's fun to play. Who's your favorite act or band or anything of that you've time? played with? Yeah. That I played with? Or that I just... Both. Okay, well, my, I grew up in the 70s. I was born in 1959, so I cut my teeth in the early 70s. Um, 
the band Kansas, Progressive Rock. Okay, yeah. That, they they were absolutely my favorite band. Yeah. Dan Fogelberg. Um, so acoustic singers, songwriters, multi instrumentalists yeah. type people. Yeah. And then I was introduced to Earth, Wind, and Fire and some of the yep. some of that music. So I really came to like that. Um, now I, there was two bands I suppose are my favorite. The band when I was in college that played Earth, Wind, and Fire and Aretha Franklin and all that. That was a blast. I still know these guys and that was a lot of fun. And the, the music because it was so. The best experience as a musician is when you're you're grooving and when the band is clicking. Yeah. It's, yep. You know, it's not the show you do, which is fun, but the, it's when you're really jiving. And we had gotten to the yeah. point where this young guys, had, and with that type of music, and you're playing Tower Power, or just, I don't know <laughs> if you call it soul or funk, or yeah. it, it's just the groove is so important. So you're just playing off each other, and there's just mm-hmm. this dynamics. And and I've worked with a lot of players who haven't experienced that, and it's not their fault. It's just yeah. some bands just never get to that. Right. So uh, Dick Knott, who's the guy who mentored me was all about that he was just always encouraging us to 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 look together to play music so when you get that opportunity so there's been a few bands that have not many who've gotten to that point that you're just feeling each other it's not even hearing so much it's feeling it and and there's this sense of um you live for getting a rise in one of the other band members so you, you do something and they turn around and go oh man that was awesome yeah. you know and yep. that's that makes your night when you yeah and so that's the kind of music i've i try to right. do that when you play with people to do yeah. something that the audience may or may not get it but your other bandmates right. do yeah and and that's that's the fun part when, absolutely when the bass player turns around and goes, Oh yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> right. Well, and then to build that culture where you can do that with each other, where you, somebody you can throw somebody for a loop a little bit every yeah. once in a while, and they'll respect it and they'll do it for you as well. Right. It and makes it, the band better. And it's not a I'm going to play this better than you. It's, it's not right. that I'm going to top you. It's like, oh, how can we how can we groove together now? It's yeah. Like, and I was playing in a band of a bunch of tech directors, and we played it tech conference once it's called big data that's fantastic and um, i was playing guitar and there was one sounds like a group that should play math metal or something yeah (laughs) and one of the guys he'd 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 rewrite songs and we'd change the lyrics to whatever and educational type (laughs) lyrics it's awesome but we hadn't worked together as a band we just rehearsed once and then played but halfway through the night we're whatever song it's kind of a funky song i don't remember what it was but i started um we got into it because everybody's just kind of doing their own thing and looking out and I started doing some things and rhythmically and yeah and they I noticed they turn and go oh that's kind of cool and then they would do something <laughs> back and then they the band got attention of each other we yeah. hadn't happened before it's yeah. like now you're getting it guys now it's yep. like we're listening to each other yeah because the joy of music is this group since this group dynamic mm-hmm. of creating something I don't know if you've ever heard of this, this lady named Carol Kay Ever, I don't think so. It's way before your time. There's ever hear of the Wrecking Crew? That there's a movie out called The Wrecking Crew. These were music, studio musicians. Glenn Campbell was one of them. Okay, I know who Glenn Campbell is. In the in the '60s, yeah. out in California. So the, everything the Beach Boys did and Barbara's hundreds of records, they played all the music for it. Okay. And they never got credit. Their names oh, were never right. on a yeah, record. Yeah, I'm familiar with the. Yeah. Okay. And these were top level musicians. Right. 
and Phil Spector was one of the producers, and they did the Beach Boys, and they did Simon and Garfunkel, and you name it. Anybody recorded for like a five-year stretch, these guys played on the mm -hmm. records. And many years later, Carol, she was a lady, she was playing bass and guitar, and mostly she became a bass player. And she goes, it's not about me. It was about we. We didn't care about getting mm -hmm. any, we didn't care. We just, we made great music. And, mm -hmm. and so that part of, I mean, the same happens with, in our conversations earlier about yeah. the church and what God wants us oh, to be. Absolutely. Our focus is, is we and how we work together as, and work mm -hmm. to, you know, he made us to work together and, and thrive as a community yeah. with different gifts and strengths. And you, you're not competing with each other. You're just, you're making great music together. I think that's one of the things my dad does really well as a leader. Yes, yes. He's, that he's idea of not, he's never pushy. He's uh, always super patient. And um, I just respect the heck out of him. Just, yeah. Um, and as I, I've led a lot of different musical things, and I don't know if I do that or not, I, I try to lead by, let's enjoy this, let's do music that's yeah. fun, you know, and right. not getting every part right. But, yeah. Um, but music is a great thing. And I, I guess from what your dad's telling me, the... Wisconsin Synod is coming out with a new hymnal, yep. which is supposed to have some really great stuff in it. He's telling me. So That's I'll, what I've heard. I've I've, had, I've seen a couple of samples of things, have, and it's it's exciting. I keep hoping it's to exciting. play. I mean, the, I've played a couple times at church. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it just they're not quite ready for that yet. <laughs> <laughs> it takes time. It. That's what he's. I'm yeah. learning is you got to move slow with people and. I, I played guitar one Sunday, um, and we did some song that had a, a Jewish feel to it, you know, yeah. kind of. Had, and I guess I played it a little different than what people were used to, because your dad said, "Just go for it. Whatever you're hearing, yeah. just play it." And Pastor Bauer was playing piano, and he was like, "Go for it. Just do it." And then there's a couple other people, but that's not how we play it. It's too fast. <laughs> and I'm like, did it, did it, did it, and I'm. And then I'm looking up, and people are like, that was different. <laughs> I liked it, but next time but it was different. Right, right. But there has to be there has to be a day. Whether if in church, it's got to be a Sunday. If it's you know on the radio or whatever it is, there has to be a moment where people go, well, that's different, but I kind of like it. Yeah. Otherwise, it, nothing ever evolves. I, and I sense the sense of yeah, because I'm so that that was my being a contemporary Christian artist, artist musician in the catholic church that's what we did every week or every time we played we were bringing in music they wouldn't oh, normally yeah, play I suppose, yeah we were re i was rewriting because the liturgy was there very similar to what we do really similar to the, yeah. the lutheran liturgy so yeah. all the psalms and the responses i don't read music so they we'd see that and it's like that doesn't mean anything to me so i would just rearrange right. it yeah and do some some of them were pretty hip and it was yeah. just me and two female singers and another guitar player, and it, so we were have. I was having fun just rewriting right. the liturgy because I couldn't do it any other way. It's like, yeah, none of us read music, so we couldn't do it as it was <laughs> written. So it's like, and the priest was like, "Go for it, that's great." Yeah, you know. So I, if I tend to do that coming into, <laughs> and I almost fall myself going, "No, we're gonna. You're gonna hear something different." Yeah, <laughs> just because I think part of we as humans get into automatic pilot in life in so many ways you as a teacher would know that so your yeah. job as a teacher is how can you break them out of their automatic autopilot mm -hmm. 
because they come to school and they without know without breaking the structure. Correct. Yeah. So what thing, little things can you do constantly to catch their <laughs> your audience's attention? Yep. And get them. To, oh. Ooh. Yeah. So musicians, I think it's a similar thing. You you always have to do things that are a little off that people anticipate. So they're like, I got to be awake. I don't want to miss it because last time. So I'm yeah. assuming that you were a good, knowing you, you'd be a, you were a good teacher, or are a good teacher, and you were always coming up with little ways to catch them off guard, or not so little, <laughs> yeah, whatever it took, yep. to keep their attention, and and that's a feel you would have, right? And and I was a teacher for a number of years too, so. Um, and it's not necessarily like keep their attention as in like keep their eyes on me. Like you're no. not doing it's not antics. It's having them continue to be interested in what they're learning. Right. And that is keeping their attention. But it's not necessarily the way a lot of people think of it. There's a lot of teachers that rail against that. Like, I'm not here to entertain. Ugh. Yeah, but if your students don't care, if they don't right. want to hear what you have to say, they're not gonna learn from you. Right. So So because human nature is Okay, I've heard that, been there, done that. I'm tuning out. I'm now in my daydreaming mode. Yep. And yep. the kids are zoning off to, they, they know where you're going. They're in, you're and they can't help it. Yeah. And the same isn't tr- true in church. You know, yeah. okay, here's, that's been my frustration with the, the liturgy. Is that if you do things by rotes the same way, people will just go through the motions. And it's like, you know, when you're driving somewhere and you get home and you don't remember where you were. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, how did? Wait a minute. Yeah, I went through here, and I don't remember at all. Yeah. Well, can we do that in church? Yeah. Where people get in autopilot. And so, is it correct? I don't know. I don't have the answer. Right. To find acceptable, theologically correct ways to occasionally yeah. keep people off balance just a little bit so that they're engaged and they want to stay engaged. one of the things I really loved about um, being at St. Marcus for a couple of years was whether it was Koine or and then there were two other worship bands that would also they would they would rotate and everyone saw it be the same band for a couple of weeks in a row or anything but they each had a different liturgy mm-hmm. um, and Koine had, Koine had several um, and so like you'd you were familiar with them where you'd know like you if you were went there often enough you'd know the 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 way it works, you know, you know the music, um, but you're not getting the exact same liturgy every week. So it was actually like, like you he- hear the theme for the Sunday, you'd go, I bet this is the liturgy, oh. you know, like, or I bet this is how this is going to uh-huh. be, you know, and I, I really enjoyed that because it was something different. It's different, right. Yeah, it's something different, and, and it doesn't take away at all from, like, the words even are basically the same each time, mm-hmm. um, and, and like that, the meditation that's, that's a- might be a little different. And the way it's phrased and, and mm-hmm. all that might be a little different, but from week to week to week, it's different. If the presentation so not, is a little different. You can't get into autopilot right. because you're going to get lost. <laughs> right. And, yeah. and and I think that's, as a worship leader, that's always, always on my mind. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, we, we can't do it the same. Because I was at places where they did. They opened with the same song every Sunday and the same song after that. And after yeah. you, you just knew, okay, people are tuning out and they're, they're waiting for something that's going to catch their attention. So why not bring that yeah. intentionally? Absolutely. Do it th- it's a lot of work. Think about yeah. Bach. I mean, it had to come <laughs> up with a cantata every week. 
Yeah. Um, what a blessed man. But pressure was. Oh my gosh. You say pressure creates diamonds, man. Yeah. So genius um, got to come from somewhere. But I, I, as as a musician, I I was more creative in my pressure days when I was mm-hmm. playing every Sunday, doing worship service, two, yeah. two services every Sunday for eight years. Well, and I would venture to say that you also make so many more mistakes that you learn way faster oh, yeah. what is and isn't going to work. So if you make a mis- if you're if you're trying to come up with something new and interesting every Sunday, then every once in a while you're going to flop or you're going to oh, yeah. try something and you're like, I don't like that. And you don't do that again, but you're gaining all this data on what does and yes. doesn't work. And, you and know it makes it easier than to be creative later on. Yeah. And it, there's what's the old saying that if you want to get something done, give it to someone who's real busy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, right. Something, if you're really in the groove of mm-hmm. something, um, whether that's teaching or music at church or whatever um so that's it's, again conversations your dad and i are having he he would he, he's he gets that too he understands yeah but the dynamics in a congregation play yeah. against that sometimes too yeah you know you have the people that thought this is the way well dying. it's the people <laughs> um that's one of the weird dynamics of being in ministry is it's not my church it's not my uh, it's God's you church. as the congregation you are a collection of believers who are getting together to worship or and to be you know our Christian family and you have asked us as called workers to serve you so if you really hate it I might try and draw you along but really when it comes down to it I've been called by God to serve you and so if if my music or if my attitude on you know the liturgy or whatever is going to create divisions among us it's, then it's not, not it's no longer service okay. it's now me just pushing my agenda I'm, I'm gonna ask you a question yeah now that you're going into you decided to go into the seminary and pursue being a pastor which yep. i'm guessing that's the route you want to go yeah yep. a conversation i have with your dad often and sometimes i'm begging him is what can the confessional lutheran church do to bring scriptures and the truth of Christianity as we know it, come to understand it, to the broader Christian world. Mm-hmm. Because I think people are starving out there who, because they won't come into a Lutheran church. They won't do it. There's just, it's, it's a Lutheran church. It's Catholic's yeah. light. It's whatever. So what can we do to reach out to Christians too, who just simply, there's so much good and the, the Lutheran pastors are wonderfully trained, and, and they're great guys, and they, they know how to deal with people's questions and present so much. And that needs to be out there in the greater mm-hmm. world. And I'm constantly asking, okay, what can we do as a church, and how can we get, talking to your dad and other ministers, how can we get you out in front of more people yeah. to present what we know? So do you... Are you sensing this? Because sometimes I think we get self-serving, and there's so much going on within the wells, because that's where I'm part of. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, there's the schools and the seminaries, and you can get totally caught up in just staying within the wells world. Yeah. But I don't know if that's been your experience or not. Oh, absolutely it is. Absolutely it is. And um, there's also, I don't know. So my I, my 
Being a PK, I mean, you grew up a pastor's yeah. kid, so right. you've been part of church, and now you're. And at times, you've been not through the whole purpose, Lutheran. At times, have been very, very sheltered, and at times, have been very, very not sheltered. Uh-huh. Um, I also have served some very non-traditional Christian, like Lutheran churches, where you'd walk in the door and you'd go like, "What they're saying is Lutheran, like what I'm hearing is Lutheran, but the music isn't Lutheran. People don't act Lutheran, like they, you know what I mean." Um, I think there is a, a lot of high church tradition um, in the Lutheran mm-hmm. church, and that's a, and for good reason. If you talk very to very good reason, you talk to them why for very good reason. There's very good reason. For um, it. And the because the liturgy, like the liturgy, is incredibly intentional, and losing the liturgy often goes hand in hand with losing doctrine. Correct. Um, and the other piece of it is the way it's presented is in the roots of the church where you. Like most of the people, like if if it's a the Lutheran Church basically was a faction of the Catholic Church that broke off. This is a really general way of talking mm-hmm. about it, but essentially a faction of the Catholic Church which broke off and changed their doctrine, right, or returned to true doctrine. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you have a very high church tradition. And it's rooted in very high church tradition, and that's something very comfortable, and so it continues to be comfortable because that's what you like when you think of church. That's what you think mm-hmm. of. But if you're going to reach people from outside, it sometimes raises the barrier to entry from people who are not part of the high church tradition. They might believe doctrinally the exact same things as you, but they aren't comfortable in your church environment um, because of just how very different it is and in some ways you can kind of say get over it <laughs> you know get over it if, if you really do believe this and if this really is the doctrine you want um, then it shouldn't be such a barrier mm-hmm. but it's also if you say get over it you're going to lose a lot, a lot of people that mm-hmm. you could have shepherded um, and so I would say breaking so, down some of those high church barriers so you'll be going into at some point once you yeah. you do your I don't know if they call it internships, not the word. But, yeah. Um, well, so I, at some point you'll be supporting a church, and right. then you'll have probably the option to start your own church if you perhaps. Do yeah. That. That's an option to, to yeah. do a missions church. But. Someday, I think my skill set lends itself to that. I think. Yeah. Well, that's that's what I've I've told your dad often. I'd love to <laughs> unleash your son. Ah oh, man, and I would... people like you on. We need and I <laughs> encourage him not to get. That's my request, because yeah. my heart is for the people the, that I know in the greater Christian world outside of the Lutheran yeah. Church that to discover what I've... Yeah. Uh, and, and so who's who can bring that? And now that fighting for the faith if, is great at doing that. They're yeah. really, he's really good at that. Um, that's exactly what he does. He reaches out to evangelicals, and he brings their world to them and then interprets it in light of the Lutheran approach. Mm-hmm. Well, and... and and there's a lot of there's also a lot of evangelical churches who are quote high church and are have a similar uh, liturgical setup. Mm-hmm. And so when you go to fa- so faith isn't even close to what um, your really really like not conservative as in, as in doctrine, but really conservative traditional mm-hmm. 
uh, churches where like where, like kind of what you were talking about is the same pieces on the organ every Sunday, mm-hmm. and the liturgy is exactly the same word for word. Nobody even have even has to pull out their hymnal because they know they all know the words and they can say it in their and, sleep, which right, they are exactly. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. I shouldn't say that. That's, that's judging people, <laughs> well, but, but it's true, and it is a very real thing, and, and it comes with its own set of issues, and it comes with its own set of blessings. But it's difficult for somebody who comes from like a big non-denominational church who looks around one day and says, you know what, this just isn't quite right. And they go on the website, they look at our doctrine and they say, I think that's what I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. And they show up and, you know, there's a pastor and wearing a robe in the front, which isn't wrong. I'm not saying that, but right. the pastor wearing a robe in the front. And the only interaction he has with the people on Sunday is when he's wearing a robe in the front, right? And he shakes hands, and everybody calls him pastor, and it's all very formal, right? Mm -hmm. And then they never have a personal, you know, like, not churchy interaction. Right, Um, and that's a challenge for, I think, what my experience has been with the Wells is we're getting clobbered by the evangelicals really good with, on the personal connection with people yep. level yes because they they focus on that so strongly and then they just fall off you know it's a mile wide really good at policing deep. our doctrine but when that's taken to the extreme it makes it very difficult to do effective evangelism yeah i, I totally agree with that I, I one of the things i i'd like to encourage is how can you take the newbie to the high church approach mm-hmm. and have it translated for them but as you can it's disguise happening. it <laughs> and you don't even need to disguise it so you can do high church without an organ without um so high church isn't actually the musical style high, high church is the liturgy Okay. Involved. That's the highness of it. Is... Yeah, I I hate the term, and well, I, I'm probably I, wrong. I grew up Catholic, but... and we had high masses and low masses, and right, exactly. I, that was my whole life experience. Oh, this is a high church Sunday, so there's more, there's incense, and there's yeah, gold leaf covered <laughs> robes, and more music. And... Right, and you can, but it, the most important thing is the content of the worship service. Yeah, correct. Could and you, you can do, do that, that with any music. I would. You go down to the Caribbean, they got steel drums and acoustic guitars and all kinds and, of... And that's the you know, conversation I've had coming in with, don't change a word. Change the music. Just change the style of the yeah. music so that it's... Because it's, you want the words to get through. It's not the music that matters. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. But then I was... But I had that conversation with a Missouri Synod pastor... And it was wonderful. We had, mm-hmm. He would send me a 10-page response to my emails about this stuff, and, and um, which I thought was, instead of going, oh, you're threatening me, and right. you're going to hell, it was like, oh, here's <laughs> the answers. And, do you question yeah, me? Yeah, how do you dare question me? <laughs> um, but he was saying what we, his experience is, has been is that when we let go, we loosened up on the music style, our doctrine went away that's just been our experience because every time we loosen up on that it's not very long before doctrinally so he would say there's a connection between the style of music and the purity of the doctrine somehow he wouldn't he may may not explain that but that's the way i understood would be then you're doing it wrong yeah maybe 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 i'm simple-minded i don't know yeah i I was just like but i don't i mean to me i could rewrite could write a liturgy 
in the music style I know, which would reach out right. to the people I know, and it would say the same thing. Yeah. It just would be in a style of music we all re- that's comfortable to us. But then, you know, we'll but talk about that. a lot of then, churches don't have a you. you know? True. And so they have to take what is given to them. And there is a whole lot of wishy-washy... Right bland yeah oh, you know there's the, nothing there's the, nothing worse either than going into a lutheran church and having a bunch of people who don't <laughs> play contemporary music very well who are trying to Con- play it temporary music can be oh it's almost like you bet you shouldn't do right. this it's almost like you're what doing a disservice you do well yes what and it's like you do they're well. trying to do it and their voices they're just not yeah good players so they're doing a disservice. So I've seen that side My too. My dream like, would be an ambidextrous congregation, where you can, you can in the same service. And Saloa, in many ways, has, is able to do this. Um, and especially, we had an, an organ, uh, a like concert level organist for a very long time, which made it even better. But and even easier, when you can do it, have someone who does it really well. But the idea of you begin with a traditional Lutheran hymn. And then your psalm of the day is just rip-roaring gospel. Mm-hmm. And then your sermon hymn is a very traditional mm-hmm. Lutheran hymn played on the organ. And then well, you know, you your offertory yes. is, is a, you know, a couple of kids playing guitar. And then you, like, and so, like, there are times when the quality isn't quite what you'd hope it would be. Um, but you know, it They've been doing it for forever, and they're very comfortable with it. Nobody bats an eye. We have other people who come in who come from churches that are predominantly gospel music, and they hear a hymn, and they go, what? I don't even know how to sing this, right? Mm -hmm. And then you have a whole bunch of white folks come in, and they hear the gospel music, and they go, what are they doing? God forbid. (laughs) (laughs) What? And you go, well, listen to what they're saying, you know? Um, And uh, it. But they're incredibly comfortable with it because that's the way the church has been for 30 years, you know? Um, Why could we But that's have, my dream is to be... What about... I don't know how this would work, but if you're assuming a good percentage of the people are new to mm-hmm. the liturgical high church approach, why not... And I've, I've seen Catholic priests do this really effectively. I, I was grateful they would do that they, during the service. They don't assume people know this. And yeah. you stop and say, okay, now we're going to do this. We do this for this reason. We, we say this prayer, and that's doing mm-hmm. this. And we, 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 we have this object that we bring in, and we're doing this with this. And this represents this. And this so that people are educated. And I think, are we afraid to do that? Because mm-hmm. that's not part of the service. And thinking in, in the minds of that, the, the people out there don't the get it, familiar. but it's beautiful. And when someone explains it, you know, there's exactly. this guy named Will Wheaton in, in uh, Issues, etc. I yep. don't know if you ever listened to that yeah. show. And, and Will Wheaton, will ex- he starts explaining the liturgy. And we, we say this prayer, and here's the bet, it's why, and we... And your dad will do that. He'll say, well, here's yep. what this picture means, this. And we have this baptismal font that's shaped this way. And it has these carvings on it because of da-da-da-da-da. And it's at this mm-hmm. point in the church because it means this and that. And then all of a sudden, it's not just this tradition. It really becomes like a deeper meaning. And then, so how could we incorporate that? Yeah. And and, and part is like, as I'm talking to your dad, like, well, can we have people have... I don't know what the word would be, as they come into the church like mentors that they go with that they can 
if they choose, you know, they may not want to do that, but if someone chooses, we'll sit with you, we'll sit, and then you can ask us questions. Why do we do that? And why do we do this? And then before church, say, okay, here's the today's service. Here's why we're doing it this way. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's this, it's this church calendar we're, ce- we're celebrating, we're remembering this thing. And then the, the robes are, we're wearing green this week because of whatever reason. And you're going to see this throughout the church. We have flowers here and the, these prayers and these songs before they go into church. I bet you that yeah. would change how they would come out of it appreciating it and feeling like a part of it. Because I go in there sometimes and I'm alone and I'm like, no one's explaining anything. I can't ask any questions. I can't talk to anybody. They're all got their circles and their their cliques, you know, after church, they have the old fellowship time while I'm over in the corner standing there. And I want to ask questions about, but I don't want to interrupt the pastor there. He's talking to everybody else. And you know what's going to happen to a congregation that adopts a model like that? Their buy-in is going to go through the roof. Their accountability is going to go through the roof. Because all of a sudden, instead of pastor trying to shepherd three, four hundred people, pastor is shepherding people who are shepherding each other. And it becomes real to them. They have ownership in it. And all of a sudden, your culture of your congregation is just going to transform. Because because one thing, when... When I first started going, and everything's going to be intentional. Yes, nobody's going to recognize. They're going to see, and then they're going to say, "They're going to." The mentors are going to be, and they're going to connected with the pastor because they're going to have questions, yeah. and they're going to go to the pastor and say, "Why did you change it? I was expecting this, and I told my people this, and you mm-hmm. did it different." So there's a connection that's going to be important for the pastor to communicate with them, and they're all going to have buy-in and ownership in how things go, mm-hmm. and. Um, and, so and how, you're never going to be sitting in church alone. You're never no. going to show up on a Sunday and you don't know somebody because right. from the moment you walked in our door, there's you're somebody. You're with somebody who's yeah. assigned to you. So our, our church has a it's a great idea. I, I met your grandfather. It was a shepherding thing, and they'd come to your house when you visit. I thought it was great, but then I didn't hear anything. I never talked to your, unless I intentionally went up and talked to your right. grandfather. He was a wonderful guy, but I didn't know that. Because there was no means of me right. formally, I'd have to make the effort personally to do that. Yeah. You know, step up to him after church, and he's talking to your grandmother and your, you know, his family, mm-hmm. and it's like I'm not going to break into that. Right. So I've been thinking all these years, like, well, how can we continue that? You know, the shepherd yeah. comes to your house now. If you'd like, I'm here to, or if you want to meet somebody else, that's fine. Whatever's comfortable for you, we have the means for you to be with somebody who's going to walk you every week through what we're doing so you're comfortable you can ask questions we encourage you to ask questions the pastor knows this and it's part of it and he can say now folks here we're doing this this week and so he's aware that there's all this because the beauty of the 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 liturgy is there's so much symbolism and so much tie back into scripture which just enhances it but it's not talked about Mm -hmm. it's not explained it's not it probably is during your adult classes. Some of it is, but not yeah, even probably. that much. But then if you're a member of the congregation, like you talked about it all in catechism class right. in and fifth through eighth grade. But then do you revisit it? You know, and, and maybe maybe once every five years you talk about it in Bible class or yeah. something. But, but it's, it's not, not a part, part of your part, life. Right, exactly. And it's going to be enriching for the people who, even if they're not actively mentoring someone, even if they're not, you know, just hearing it again and again mm-hmm. is going to help you remember why it's important. Because what's what's the purpose of 
the liturgy all yeah. along has been to take Christian truths. Yep. And at the time when it was created to an illiterate people, because most mm -hmm. people didn't read, so how could you present Christian truth symbolically and repeatedly? And yep. that was done through the architecture, through the artwork, mm -hmm. through the through you know the songs you picked, and the way the prayers were done. All of that was the assumption that these people aren't getting. It's it's not the theologians that they're they're reaching out to. Yeah, you know, people you're you're studying constantly, and and I'm fortunate to be the type that just wants to read. So I'm consuming yeah. all this stuff. So by the time I get to church, I've been reading about this all right. week. And, and but there's for the that's why they even had bells during the Our Father, so that the farmer who's out in the field would know that okay, they just they're at that part in yep. the liturgy so there's a ding i would like why do they ring a bell in the middle of the our father and the the thought was always to your your workmen class mm -hmm. people who didn't have the opportunity to engage in theological studies yep. we were presenting the liturgy to them over yep. re repeatedly but we're assuming now that people get all that they right. don't right they don't appreciate it because you study anything god makes and see see it for what it is and you are drawn to its beauty and complexity and just the love that goes into it you know it's the more you study god's creation it's just like yep. it gets you appreciate him more and more it's, it's like wow or any person is you get you might think i don't know you and you're just this <laughs> i write you off but right. when i get to know you yeah. and you start explaining your life it's like, wow i didn't know that well why don't we do that with with the liturgy and present it for and then i bet the people in the congregation would get more excited and appreciate it even and you're right about the buy-in so how can i convince you dad to do that <laughs> well the question i always ask whether i'm working with like marching band kids or in my classroom or or whatever the context is on a football team whatever the, the question always is how do i work myself out of a job right because mm -hmm. you get to the point where they don't need me anymore where they can, you know, so like if, it, if, if you're not there, they, they won't miss you. Right. They'll exactly. miss you, but they so won't. So in, in first grade, you know, they should get to the point where they need a second grade teacher. Oh. In second grade, they should get to the point where they need a third grade teacher, you know, um, for in, in like when we were doing working with high school band kids, you know, because we'd take them on tour and they were like, basically it'd be how much can we get the kids to do? that we don't have to do. So it should get to the, by the end of the season, we should show up somewhere. There should be a director standing there and there and the kids ready to take go. care of business, right? So they, they set everything up, they load, mm -hmm. they unload. Um, they even like to the point where they, they were accountable for like lights out times and things like that. Like there'd be a specific person. Mm -hmm. um, they did, they led devotions. They mm -hmm. did like, they do all of that, right? But then we lose that mom, and that's how good, good corporations, that's how good organizations mm -hmm. run. And we, a lot of times, we'll lose that as a church, mm -hmm. where we have someone, and sometimes it's not even the pastor, but someone who sits at the top, and it makes decisions all. and does it all. Mm -hmm. And say there are plenty of situations where it's the pastor. There's plenty of situations where it's not even the pastor, where it's somebody else, whether it's the person with the biggest pockets or the loudest mouth or mm -hmm. <laughs> whatever it might the nastiest be one sometimes is. it's the pastor's life <laughs> yep. um but it shouldn't be pastor centric at all it should be 
Christ-centric, and when it's mm-hmm. Christocentric, it's also going to be And everybody's connected to him. Right. Because everyone's connected to him, if we're Christ-centric, Christ tells us to serve each other, therefore mm-hmm. a people-centric church is also going to be Christocentric. Mm-hmm. Nope, other way around. A Christocentric church is automatically going to be people-centric, not necessarily the other way around. So how do we get there and do that? It's a good question. Going into this phase of your life, and will have the ability to do that. Yeah. See, I'd like you to come to my hometown. There, there isn't there <laughs> in, and I found this to be true in, um, in my search for finding a safe, confessional church. In the Chicago land, Milwaukee area. You can count them on, one hand. Yeah. Literally, right. one hand. Um, our church is one. And I was led to our church from a Missouri Synod pastor, and because we were looking, mm-hmm. and as, as, and he was from Elgin, which is yeah an hour or more away from my house, and we looked, <laughs> <laughs> and so how do we bring that out there? I mean, just we need. I, I don't have an answer for that. You know, it's I don't like either. I wish there was. There's nothing in my town. There's nothing. Yeah. There's a, a lot of Lutheran churches. And I've been to a lot of them. It doesn't take long to, right? You walk out going, well, they're they don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> and um, it makes you sound divisive, but there's certainly a need for young guys like you. I've told your dad a lot. This can you send someone to Johnsburg or McHenry to start a <laughs> confessional Lutheran congregation there? Yeah. Because I have friends who just, I mean, to ask people to drive an hour, I suppose it's. I get it, and we should be willing and able to do that as Christians, if that's what it takes. But how really are you going to yeah. get invested in other people and other believers in your church? It's difficult in a community that's it's an hour away, that you don't know them, you don't know the community. Your kids can't get to know their kids. You have to drive an hour to do anything. So really, to have a dynamic church, it should be in mm-hmm. a community. Right. Um, so that would be my challenge to the Wells: <laughs> is to take. Find young pastors who are creating right. churches in communities, as many more communities. Well, and I would, I would argue that there are a lot, the percentage of seminarians who just love Jesus and just want to love up on people is, I might be mistaken, but I'd argue that that population is a higher percentage than those uh, experienced pastors who have spent a lot of time in ministry. I think a lot of times... Oh, I'm overstating now, but I think the danger is that you get somewhere and you start to see the dirt. You start uh-huh. to see the, What's... you start to lose. You're not quite as bright eyed and bushy tailed. Mm-hmm. And uh, reality brings you down right, to earth. Reality brings you down to earth. And, and you start to lose the focus that you once had on just purely bringing people the gospel. Mm-hmm. And you start worrying about other things. Um, and some so, of them are important things, some of them aren't important things, but it starts to bring your focus away from your true your true purpose of bringing the gospel first to your congregation and then to your community. And then you wonder, I mean, the early church, mm-hmm. there weren't big congregations. I mean, right away there was. Oh, Jerusalem, yeah. But once the, pros- right. the persecution started, mm-hmm. they had to go underground. And right. It was house churches. There, yeah. weren't, there weren't formal churches a couple hundred years it, but the persecution even went on then and mm-hmm. Diocletian and stuff not until uh, what's his name Constantine Constantine where it became the 
religion of the kingdom. So the church thrived and grew like crazy in a home house church setting. Yeah. Um, we seem to be really hung up on, well, we have to create this place. My experience is once the building goes up, it changes everything. The building. Well, that building is where you the find building, God. The building becomes the mission and the people who take care of the building become the power centers mm -hmm. because it just takes money and it takes time and effort to keep the building going. Yeah. To, to pay for it, to it's pay the taxes. To and I've seen churches that were dynamic. They were starting in a they're meeting in a school and they were growing like crazy and they were very strong, people centered. They build a building and everything changed. You lose that militant attitude. When you're the church militant, when you're struggling, when you're fighting, yeah. you're in it together, you're struggling. But you it's have about this people. Bond. You're not right. You're not I don't you yeah. go in on Sundays and you set up in the school and then you're done with that building. That they take in order care even of it. to have worship, you need people to show up and set yeah. up the chairs. It's that involvement. Yeah, and and then right, the but that's part of right. There's more people because I would I was helping out there in the chapel, which is a, a, a non-denominational church that grew like crazy. It went mm -hmm. from started in a pastor's house with 15 people. Now they have six churches with thousands of people, um, and some of their own buildings. But I was there when they went to their own building, and now. Now they have to raise money. So now it changes the dynamic as a pastor. You could see why pastors would burn out because yeah. now their job is not being the spiritual shepherd anymore. It's, it's making sure the building stays yeah. open and they pay their taxes. Yeah. And uh, you may want to cut this out of the <laughs> message, but it happened to our church. Oh, yeah. They built, this, they built this big building that was way beyond run out of gas. our ability to fund, and the money wasn't there. And now all this effort and time is spent on raising money to pay for the church building. Yeah. And just think if that time and effort was spent on people. Because mm -hmm. I would think, man, we're, we're this nine-week campaign to raise money. But I've never heard a campaign to bring a friend. Yeah. Or a campaign to get to know the person sitting in the pew next to you. What if we really tried and they pushed that hard and had elders in the church sitting like we were talking about, be a mentor to the person next to you. Yeah. We're going to have this, instead of raising money, and the only time I hear from some people is when they want my money. Yeah. And Well. So, But that's not their fault. They have this building that well, they're and that's responsible exactly what, for. Yeah, and, and the, or the father said, you know, I am a jealous God punishing the children for the sins of the father or for the sins of their fathers for the third and fourth generation, right? And we think that that applies to, you know, we always talk about how that applies to other people's sin, but also applies to our own decisions, right? My decisions have a trickle-down effect. And when you have a, a older portion of a congregation or if you have a, you know, whatever it might be, in this particular case, it was, it was an older generation built the church, and then as that generation is either dying or you know moving to their vacation homes or whatever it is they're not necessarily the ones who are paying off the church mm -hmm. and there's a disconnect between the two but that happens with all kinds of other things like how many evangelism movements have so churches push and push and push and they they build up this this new core of of uh members they're reaching out to people with the gospel and they get all these new members in and then they turn their efforts to toward um, discipling exactly. these new members and then all of a sudden they don't have any more new members coming in they're going well what happened it's like your, your focus shifted and then it's not, not necessarily bad but your 
decision created an outcome, right? And, and when we, um, like there's no doubt that Faith needed a new building. <laughs> if you ever, if you, uh, did you ever see the old building before it got turned into a preschool? It, they, they needed a building. <laughs> um, but the Lord was already blessing them in the old building. They were already growing like crazy in the old building. And when the new building came around, they were still growing like crazy. And it had very little to do with the building at first. Um, and, but well, like you said, you know, that the, you can have that conversation now with 2020 hindsight, right. And mm -hmm. say, what if the building was a little less fancy and we, you know, paid well, it off a little why faster need, and why, spent more money. Back on to my else. statement about the house church. Yeah. Why do we need a building that accommodates 500 people? Even because now Cause my now, house doesn't accommodate 500 people. <laughs> but why not have smaller groups that, yeah, that but are then, in neighborhoods? Well, Instead of making people, because 500 people have to drive from somewhere. From, it's not far, but I, I'm in Johnsburg, and it's the church. Yeah. Isn't, I don't do life. But then you got two buildings. You got two groups of people. You have a smaller network. I'm, I'm just right. Right. I'm no. Just, no. That's yeah. no. That's a good good conversation. Yeah. It's like, but we can't. If we took, we have three pastors in here. Well, why not have three churches, smaller churches, in the same. One in Antioch, yeah. one in Johnsburg, and one in Crystal Lake, or something like that. Well, but you're already talking about the shortage of pastors, right? But we have we they know with studies that a pastor can't handle more than 150 people. That's true. Once you get to that point, then you're it's a but what act if of you diminishing returns. The disciple each other, like correct? But then instead of creating a thousand people church, right? You, well, I agree. That's you go great. to where the people are, and, I agree. You, and you you have communities, and, and then your neighbor is your church. Instead yeah. of my neighbor is a lot of Christians living on my street. They all go to different churches. Yeah, and it, no, I and we I don't fellowship at all. I'm totally Here's, down with the idea that once you get to like 500, it's probably time to. If you get to 500, it's probably time to start not splitting, but you know, it's time to plant again, if that's the word you want to use. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I just, just, it's just been my experience has been as it, the, the building grows and the focus becomes yeah. the building. Yeah, and, I, and then I in agree time, then then we have to redo the building. We have to refurbish the building. We have to, now we're going to spend well, all money on the building, and yeah. as if the building was the draw. And in some places it is. We have a beautiful Catholic church in Johnsburg, which my ancestors built. Yeah, my great grandfather was the first European born in McHenry Township. Really, and my wife's grandfather help build the church so and that's cool so it's this beautiful building but the church has become synonymous with the building yeah they don't think of saint john the baptist as the people it's, yeah it's this building has become it so i don't know I, it just, <laughs> interesting things to think about it's, uh, and I know, you know, when you talk to the people who built it and the reason, back to our talk about, well, why did they do certain things? Well, they have this tall spire, this steeple with a cross at the top because the whole community can look up at any mm -hmm. time and see the cross there in the middle of town. But are they intentionally talking about that now in 2020? Yes. Is that, you know, it's, yeah. the stained glass windows are beautiful gospel depictions of events in yeah. the gospel and it's i mean it's beautiful if you've never seen it go see saint john's catholic yeah. church in johnsburg it's it's it was built after cathedrals it's gorgeous i mean it's it's, it's a beautiful building and um wow <laughs> <laughs> um yeah yeah but 
Well, the other temptation is there sometimes too, where you have a church building. So he says, well, there's a church building there. We might as well have a church there. And that's not necessarily. Well, that's, yeah, it's happening. Well, look what's happening in Europe now. They're, yeah. There are tons of church buildings all over the place, and yeah. only 2% or less of the population even goes to church. Yeah. And you have this cathedral that can seat 2,000, and there's 20 people <laughs> show up. Yeah. Well, as we close out here. Question is, what does it mean to be a man, or what makes a man a god? Great question. Um, like I said before, it's, it's. I think it's different for everybody. Every, every. I think first one, a, a man has to discover, seek God, and find out what God is asking men to do. I mean, that's. And as you go on that journey, and you seek after God, He will show you in your life what that how that means now it doesn't mean it, you can go off that well if god's having me do some crazy things i pretend i think <laughs> to rotate around certain things that if you're looking to god's word there's only so much that it says about men right but i think it starts there and if you're looking for that answer seek jesus who was the man <laughs> the god man and he will, as you tr seek to know him and emulate how he lived, I think that will come out of your life because that's the wet direction he'll push you. Yeah. You know, and how that works out on a day-to-day -day basis will vary depending where God needs you to do at that particular time. Yep. Yeah. So um, It's all about following him. It's following him, and that's a simple answer, you know, but that's really the simple truth yeah it's a it's it's simple and it's easy but it's easier easy said to, than done <laughs> easy to know yeah not so easy to do yeah but it's not a complicated we tend to yep. over complicate things we do just seek him we do well thanks for being on the podcast this is awesome lee steinsdorfer if somebody wants to reach out to you where can they find you <laughs> i don't have a great web presence i've got an email <laughs> address but um I, Are you willing to share that? At steiny59 at gmail.com. All right. With a Y? Yeah, and I'm on Facebook, too. But okay. Actually, I don't go there a lot. My wife does. But uh, I don't either. I, the more time I spend on social media, the harder time I have living real life and being spiritually Correct. disciplined. So. And I found with my son, the real life is, we, I'm, I don't miss movies and TV shows. The yeah. real life has been, become very interesting lately. Yeah. Theory. The less time you spend online, the more interesting real life becomes. Yeah, well, I can't say I'm not online, but where I'm going say, online. Yeah, that's true. I'm. Uh, that's true. I'm, the less recreation. Yes. That's not even. I don't. That's not. Yeah. <laughs> I guess it kind of is. I'm learning online. Yeah. I'm studying. I'm trying to right. dig into you know, what's going on in the world today, and, and right. who's telling the truth and who's not. <laughs> right. Which is exactly. A real challenge. Yep. Yeah, thinking independently is becoming more and more difficult, and it's almost frowned upon is to think independently oh, right group yeah big brother group think is where group it all think. is yes all well, right thank you i appreciate you <laughs> it's been been a pleasure glad to have and, you on uh, god bless you in your seminary adventures thank you okay. thank you it'll be fun i'm charlie Ingemach. go be the man god created you to be Thank you for listening to the Gird Up Podcast. If you like what you're hearing on our podcast, make sure you're sharing it with friends and family, men in your life who you think need to hear our message. 
You can find us on social media, on Facebook, under the Gird Up Podcast. And there's a Gird Up community as well there where you can interact with other men on the journey toward Christian manhood. You can find us on Instagram as girdup underscore like underscore a underscore man. If you'd like to help us bring our message to more men just like you all around the world, you can hit up our Patreon account. Type in www.patreon.com forward slash girdup. And finally, please leave a five-star rating or review on whatever platform you use to listen to our podcast, whether it's iTunes or Spotify. What that does is it helps us get more attention in the podcast world and bring more men to our message. Thank you again for listening to our podcast. Thank you for all the ways you support us and help spread the word. Until next time, go gird up and be the man that God created you to be.